Hello, Bethel fandom. Welcome to Keep Singing, a Bethel and Beth Green and Daryl Dixon podcast. It is I, your host, Sunny Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and Twitter and everywhere else. And welcome to episode 19. Jeez, we've been doing this for over a year now. Can you believe it? Yeah, 19. Wherein I sit down with Molly, Sail Not Drift, on Tumblr, and, well, the thing is, here's the thing. We were gonna talk about multi-shipping. That was the plan. Uh, the plan didn't quite go as planned. We did talk about multi-shipping. Uh, we, we absolutely did do that. Uh, the, the thing is, we also talked about, like, just about everything else. Uh, like, I, we, I think that there's about a 20-30 minute stretch here where we talk about Rick just as Rick, because we both find him so goddamn interesting. And of course, there's long digressions about Daryl, and then we just talk about the fandom, you know, kind of, in general, because we have feelings about that. So, so this is ostensibly about multi-shipping, but really it just ended up being this giant ramble fest, which is what I usually aim for, so it's not like that's necessarily a problem. Uh, but yeah, so if you, I mean, just first of all, if you don't want to talk about multi-shipping or you don't want to hear us talk about multi-shipping, uh, don't listen to this because that is still kind of the core of it. But uh, also, I mean, this ended up being about, it ended up almost being three hours long. I, I usually aim for half an, an hour and a half to, to two hours and that ended up being, I mean, I've edited it down enough uh, that it's, it's more like two and a half hours, but it's still fucking long and I'm just sort of assuming that nobody really is going to have a problem with that because people really seem to enjoy the conversation episodes uh, and people really seem to enjoy when I talk to Molly and I really enjoy when I talk to Molly too that's one of the reasons why it ended up being so long I swear if you put us in a bar and gave us some drinks we would just we would just go for like six fucking hours and it would be awesome but it would be a shitty podcast but anyway so that's what this is Uh, I really hope you enjoy it before I jump into it, let me go ahead and do my little Patreon spiel thing, like I always do. Uh, but you know, it's just kind of what podcasts do, I guess. Uh, if you if you like this, if you enjoy it, first of all, I mean, just spread the word on Tumblr, reblog things. Liking is nice, but reblogging is better. If if you have somebody in the fandom who's a friend of yours or an acquaintance of yours, or just somebody you know who's not listening to this who you think would enjoy it, please tell them about it. Because when more people listen, it's more funner for all of us. And if you want to support this in a more material fashion, uh, you can do so by contributing to my Patreon, which is linked at the top of my Tumblr blog, dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. Up at the top, there is a link to my Patreon page. And if you want to toss a couple bucks in my hat a month, that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you don't want to do Patreon, that's cool too. You can also go to this podcast's website, at keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com and there's a picture of a tip jar click on the tip jar takes you to paypal and you can donate like a one-time thing there too and that's awesome and i mean this like i keep saying this thing does cost me money to make not a lot you know and it's money i'm happy to spend and would spend anyway but i hugely appreciate help covering my costs uh it's just it's a nice thing to do so uh if you can hear horns honking my husband is playing watchdogs in the other room it's a cool game anyway it's also kind of loud so that's what you're hearing if you can hear so, so yeah, um, let me, uh, before I get going, let me give a shout out slash thanks to the people who are supporting me on Patreon already. Uh, thanks so much to Elise Erickson, Ashley DeGroote, Becca Aguilera, 
Ambrosia Smith, Aisha Bryant, and Rhonda Lake. You guys are absolutely wonderful, and I love you so much. And I love you all, too, even if you're not contributing on Patreon. I just love you for listening, and I love you for being here. And I'm going to shut up now, and and, uh, we're going to get to the incredibly long, wonderful conversation with Molly. And, yeah, it's going to be great. Here we go. So hi, everybody. Uh, We are once again talking to Molly. I always love doing that. It's always so awesome, and we always ramble so wonderfully. And this time, we're going to be talking about multi-shipping. So any of you who don't want to think or talk about multi-shipping or don't want to hear us talk about it, you should get off the train here, because that's all it's going to be for the next however long. Uh, And we're going to, I don't know, we're not going to confine ourselves to one or two ships. I think we're just going to talk about everything in general. So... Hi, Molly. We've already kind of talked about this some, but in terms of uh, jumping off kind of at one point, why do you think you and I both love it? And we're not the only ones, but I, but you know, you and I both love it and do it a lot. And we've been working a lot with, I, I can't say this aloud. We've been working a lot with Brickle lately. Ah, it, is a, it is a terrible word to it's say. It's awful. Reading it. They're really. all awful. I mean, there's no good chip portmanteau. They're terrible. Destiel is probably the only one I don't absolutely hate, but even that's pretty bad. But yes, we've both been writing a lot of brickle lately. So what it's is also it? also Dilemma in the nor- in the um ba- the base motel fandom or whatever. That one's pretty good. What is it? Dilemma because it's Dylan oh, and Emma. Yeah. No, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that one's cute. I that's don't know. Kinda, yeah, it's kind of clever. Anyway, but... so I'm sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. Uh. All of my favorite conversation podcasts include a lot of crosstalk and talking over. So what is it about this ship that you particularly love writing? Because it's not the same as Bethel. Uh, Brickle, yeah. Yeah, I think think like it started out as just the fact that I thought I saw that, you know, the episode in season four where Rick rips out a guy's throat with his teeth. And I was like, whoa, that's dominant. Dominant Rick is exactly. That's so hot. That's really hot. Exactly. And I was like, and like, I, I mean, like, I'm not ashamed to admit that, like, the whole innocent blonde cheerleader schoolgirl, whatever, with the grizzled old exacting leader thing, like, that appeals to me. Um, if it's consensual, if it's of age, like, et cetera. But, like, I think the more that I've thought about the ship, and also, I mean, like, this is, this is just talking about Beth and Rick, this like right. isn't even talking about Daryl yet, which is a whole right. other layer to it. Of course. Uh, but when I, you know, when I started thinking beyond the fact, like this is really hot, you know, it started becoming like, I mean, for example, Mary, who is um, Milkshake Microwave on Tumblr and Open Hearts on Archive of Our Own, wrote a really, really great brick um, story based in the prison that's based around Rick and Beth coming together as sort of like as Judith's guardian and basically being married and Judith being their kid. Um, and I think huh. that I, I mean, I love the writing is amazing and the character development is amazing. And like, I think like that's, that's really the only point that I feel like a bajillion things are like throwing into my head at the same time. But like, that's like the, really the only point in the show where I feel like Beth and Rick together feels natural to me when they're at the prison. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like before then, you know, you have Laurie and I don't want to get between Rick and Laurie because I love them. And then after that, you have Rick and Michonne and again, don't want to get between that. And I also just think it just it feels it falls so naturally into place. You have Beth growing, growing up into this caretaker role while you have Rick struggling with his 
role as not his new role as a father, but his role as a single father, I guess. Yeah. And I have a million trains of thought, but like to start, like starting from that, like I think that there's, I mean, that's, that's the point, I guess, is there's so many different avenues you can take to look at just this one couple that's never, ever, ever going to happen on screen. Like, I mean, if it was going to happen, it would have happened at the prison. It didn't. And like, I'm totally fine with that because like it, it didn't happen, whatever. But there's just so many different possible dynamics, so many different possibilities of how it could have gone, of how, yeah. like, you know, it could be, incre- it could end up being, like, incredibly abusive because they don't fit together well, or it could end up being they're married and raising a child together. So it's like exploring those different realities and those different dynamics of a couple that is never going to happen in canon is really different from then talking about a couple like Bethel which if you know team defiance is correct that is almost certainly going to happen in canon right yeah if she's alive it's 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 probably going to happen yeah Yeah. so like I mean or you know at least like it's a you know it's it's like it's a possibility so I feel it's like yeah there's a difference between talking about those two kinds of ships and just something about the fantasy of Beth and Rick really appealed to me because simply because it never is going to happen. Because that means that I have I mean, I have to do more work in terms of setting up scenarios where they could potentially fit together, you know, do more work in terms of thinking about how they would re- react to each other as a romantic couple do more work thinking about how everyone else in the group would react to them because we have, you know, from um, them, we have the episode them. We know basically the team family would be totally cool with Beth and Daryl. Um, but we don't know what di- how the dynamics would shift with Beth and Rick. So it's a long ramble to say that just exploring those different possibilities and having the different amounts of control and sort of prior knowledge over where the ships are going to go um, that's, I guess that's sort of, that's what appeals to me about multi-shipping in general is like every single, every single fic you write, no matter what pairing it is, is an AU of the canon, you know? And like, yeah. so it's a different, it's a different kind of AU, I guess, than, than a ship like Beth and Daryl or like Rick and Michonne would be. Oh, cat just jumped down. Hang on. Evil, you cannot be up here right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I really, I really love that you said that about how it can never be canon. Like it, it never, never can be. And this, this is one of the things that frustrates me about people who frustrates and baffles me about people who feel that they require that their thing be canon, regardless of what it is. Even if it, like my sense is that the, I will someday be over this. The Rickle people still think that this is canon. Or still think that, you know, if Michonne was out of the picture, it would happen. And I really don't necessarily think that. And I don't think that you have to think that to love it. One of the things that's so great about fan fiction, and one of the reasons why it actually, I I mean, it, it existed even to begin with, is to explore things that can't happen, or that are very unlikely to happen. And I think that, I mean, I, I, I don't, generally speaking, I'm not going to write about stuff that I fully expect to happen. A lot of my stuff is, is, is a deviation in some respect, or at least my favorite stuff is the stuff that couldn't possibly happen. Because like you say, that's the stuff that you have to work hardest for. And yeah, there's, 
there is there is something about the dynamic between Beth and Rick that is precisely because it couldn't happen is so interesting and 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 also like you say it has a potential there I think partly because we both headcanon Rick as having this really deep fucked up side that you don't really see so much on the show but I like the idea that it's there it's such well, a different you, dynamic. You don't, you don't see it between him and Michonne or like no. between him and the people he loves. But I think that like it's there. I, oh, it's yeah. definitely there. The guy rips out somebody's throat with his teeth. He's got some problems. I literally made a gift set yesterday of him saying, I'll kill you eight times. And I, I could have made like three more gift sets of the same thing. Oh, God. So. It's so hot when he does that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's 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 fucked up guy. And I think that his relationship with Michonne is healthy, mostly because it's Michonne. Mm-hmm. Like his relationship with Jesse would have been terrible. I, I, I just I don't think that that ever would have worked out well. He saw this damaged person that he wanted to protect. He didn't see an equal partner in a relationship, you know, which is which is what Michonne is. Michonne, I think, is the only person in Team Family who could handle him right now. And I think like she, I mean, she is he. She's the one who he. She, he wants her to lead him around by the dick. Yeah. Honestly, like, yeah. like I, it's interesting because like, you know, as we said, like whenever I write Rick, it's as a nat, you know, he's a naturally dominant person. But as soon as I think of him and Michonne together, I'm like, he's not doing anything she doesn't want to do. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. 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 But, but it's, and I think that you could get to that point with, with Beth. And I think that one of the things that you and I both do is, and partly as a way to emphasize, make sure that Beth has agency and she's not being victimized and to emphasize that that this is consensual, even if, if Rick is taking on a really dominant role and even if he's doing stuff to her that to an outside observer might seem abusive, she's still fully in control and she still fully wants it to happen. You know, it, it, I think in, especially in the prison stuff you and I have written, and I think this is partly true because of, you know, even if she's 18 there, she's only just 18. She's a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, he might, like in, in um, Got a Taste for the Cherry, it, he's, he feels predatory and he doesn't quite understand that she's not allowing him to be predatory. Mm-hmm. He's still kind of wrestling with the fact that this is something that she wants and he feels like a monster and he feels terrible. But that the fact that, that it is potentially so intrinsically unhealthy as opposed to Beth and Daryl, which I don't think could ever be anything but completely healthy for the most part. I think that's so fascinating. And I think that's so fun to write. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think like, like like you were saying um, about this sort of abusive idea of like an abusive relationship is that like that also plays into the fantasy that, well, the, you know, patriarchal fantasy that teenage girls don't know their own minds uh-huh. You know, and I think the thing that you do really well with Cherry is the fact that, like, yeah, and it's like it's sort of, it was like it was a little, you know, I when I was first reading it, like it was hard to get over that first hurdle of believing, like, yeah, okay, she's she's totally in control, she's totally okay with this, she's not shocked by anything, but like the way the way you write it is just so interesting because she loses her virginity to this guy, you know in a very to an outside observer would seem like a very violent way but like you know she she does it because she wants to you know if she didn't want it to happen it would not happen and if she didn't want to continue it it would not continue um so that's just to say like i mean again like i love everything you write and i think that's really the most (laughs) that's like that's what i find one of the i mean 
again, we're leaving Daryl out of this because that's a whole nother, you know, right. that adds so many complications. But just the Rick and Beth relationship, like that, you know, having that super duper dominant character who like in the end is just like wrapped around her pinky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just it's it's so oh, I don't know. It's just so it's so interesting. And it's like it's something that it's so it's interesting because it's so hard to imagine yeah, I think without doing like a lot of thinking about it. And I think that's why a lot of people are so vehemently against it. Um, not 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 just with Beth and Rick, but with, you know, Beth and Daryl because of the age difference. Right. That's just not something they're willing to get through. And yeah. I mean, I, one of the actually one of the one of the things that's been a huge influence on Cherry was the fic you wrote based on Baby It's Cold Outside. <laughs> because you managed to pull that off. And it's, I, I think I told you in, in when I left the comment on it, but it's not that I doubted your ability to do it. Like when I was first reading it, I was like, she's going to pull this off somehow. Like this is going to happen. But when you get to like the very last chapter and it is revealed that the whole time Beth completely understood what was going on. And yeah, maybe she got a little drunk, but she was never not in control of what was happening. She wanted all of it. And then, you know, she basically reveals to Rick, well, guess what? Like, you're actually, you actually don't really, you're not in charge of the situation and now you're going to do what I want. And it would have been so easy to make that out of character. It would have been so easy to have that feel clumsy or have it feel like you've got these two paper dolls that just have these faces and these names attached and otherwise don't have any relationship to these characters. But you pulled it off. And when I was going through cherry and especially thinking about writing beth's chapter which was really important as a way to kind of get an insight into well she is actually kind of shocked and she is kind of scared but she's also ready to seize her own agency and kind of Mm -hmm. thinking well i'm not i trust him to actually not hurt me if i wanted this to stop i think he would stop it and because i trust him and because it feels really good why shouldn't i go ahead and do it and that when I was thinking about how to do that, I was referring back to that fic a lot as kind of a guide for, okay, here's how I want to work this relationship dynamic. And I mean, that was writing Beth and Daryl is never hard, but kind of working from the Beth and Rick perspective, it was like you say, it was a lot more difficult. So I was kind of using that as a template to figure out how I was going to make this be in character and still do what I wanted sexually. That is so flattering. So thank you. That's oh, um, a great fucking fic. Thank. You. I mean, yours is okay. I'm not going. We're not going to get into this because it's not. Right, well, it's but very easy I, to do. Yeah. I did. I did also want to bring up sort of as you're as you're talking about that. Like I was thinking, like the re- like the reason why Rick is so scared of himself is because he, like a lot of people in this fandom don't recognize the agency that Beth has. And even if she were a less strong-willed character, the agency that she still would have as a human being. Um, And that like his, his fear of himself stems from the stereotype of her being the victim because she is young and blonde and blue eyed, etc. So like, and I think that that, that, works that's a lot strong that influences a lot stronger when you talk about rick than when you talk about daryl because rick is so much more i don't know if trapped is the right word but he he fits in the lines of straight white masculinity and obviously in a much stronger way than daryl does it'd be i'd have to think more about whether you know how he deviates 
you know, from it himself. But like, I, I think the reason why Daryl, Daryl's scared of his relationship with Beth and it's not, I think it's not, it wouldn't be so much because he's afraid of himself as a monster and what he can do to her. It's based on or what, like, you know, it would be expected he would do to her. It's based more on his actual life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and his, and his fear that he just can't be good for anybody or his fear that he won't succeed in making her happy. It's it's coming from a much sweeter place, and it's it's coming from a much more generous place. Um, and I think it's it's partly because you know you and I also both had Ken and Daryl as not being particularly experienced, maybe not being experienced at all, and really discovering he's the one who's discovering himself through Beth, even if she's also not very experienced. But Rick is. You know, Rick's been very sexually attractive, very sexually active. He is also very sexually attractive. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, it's, oh, God. And and he's had multiple sexual experiences with multiple different people. And, you know, we, we, we know that he's sort of a fall in love with his high school sweetheart and marry her and have kids with her kind of guy. But we don't know what other sexual experiences he had in high school. It's entirely well, actually, possible he had. Wait, we do, do we? There was, it's come across my dash a few times. There was a scene between Rick and Shane where they're oh, talking yeah, no. about this, like, girl, Sheila. And how That's Rick was right. like too shy to talk to her. I forgot about Sheila. I remember that they had that conversation and Shane was giving him all manner of shit and it was really cute. But I forgot about Sheila particularly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like the vision, the vision I have of him is that like he, you know, he came into his sexual maturity, you know, after high, you know, through, through Lori, I guess. Right. Or like they came into it together. Right. Because, you know, high school sweethearts, whatever. Yeah. And it's, uh, by the way, I, I love that, especially given how we headcanon Rick working sexually once he sort of gives into his dark side, mm. because he is sort of, he starts out, and especially at the beginning of the show, when, when he's still, you know, this very, well, he shaves a lot more. <laughs> I think Rick's facial hair is a representation of how messed up he is internally, <laughs> yes. which I love. And, you know, he's he's the sort of clean cut, very up, upright, upstanding sheriff type. And you don't get this, you know, yeah, he married his high school sweetheart. He is terribly in love with her and all he wants is to find her again. And you get from that to how you and I write him. And I think that that's very that's very in keeping with his kind of personal journey on the show, you know, from from that guy to somebody who rips somebody's throat out with his teeth. And, you know, one of the things I absolutely love, I forget what episode it was, but it was the episode where he and team family first go to hill to go to the hilltop and they just kill some dudes and he's standing there <laughs> he's covered like, in blood and he's like, what? Like this, what did you expect? This is just who I have. Why do you even think this is weird? This is just what we do now. It's like, Rick, we don't just slaughter people. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So it's, they're, they're just, and I think that that journey is sort of the point, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of started just rambling there about Rick, but you kind of, I think you kind of have to that. And that's, that's also, you kind of do something similar with Beth because she's also this very, it's very easy to just see her as this sort of innocent Pollyanna figure, whereas she's complicated. We know she's complicated. We know she's capable of violence. And I think it's reasonable to assume that she has a dark side potentially, and she has her own desires and she has things that might sort of frighten her, but that she wants to let out. And 
in Pacify, I kind of imagine her doing that with Daryl, but I think it's a lot harder to imagine her doing that with Daryl than it is with mm-hmm. Rick. Yeah, and like I think like going off what you said about sort of the way that he, that Rick like, dege- I mean, degenerates is not is really not the right word. This bad, co- it has connotations I don't mean, but like the way he he makes this journey from, it's basically like I mean it's this is me thesis thing, but like it's the breakdown of heteronormativity that is happening as the apoc you know when the apocalypse occurs is that you know before the apocalypse he's and even in the first part of it he's this very upstanding family man um there was a line i wrote in some fic i don't even know if it's published yet where he talks about how like you know he would never do he would never even think of doing this kind of thing with like the father of his with the mother of his children um but then you have the breakdown of social norms and of the heterosexual nuclear family and once you get outside of those constraints, you know, adding to that the, you know, violence and all the bad shit that goes on in Rick's head, I think that that's also, it's also indicative of the kind, the new kinds of relationships that can happen. You know, we've, we've talked before about how Beth and Daryl's relationship is not definable in terms of the way that we as you and me in this world can really define relationships um, or the way that tropes define relationships. And I think that this, it works the same way with Rick, or at least I, you know, the way that we write him and the way I imagine his, you know, sexual journey is that like, as the apocalypse breaks down these family ties, it also sort of, you know, it breaks down the idea, the, personal ideas of what is normal to want or to not want or to desire to not desire. Yeah. Yeah. God, there's just so much to think about here. And one of the things that I think is, is really neat about that. I mean, you, you kind of, this is sort of only tangential to breaking down of family norms, but you kind of mentioned the, you know, he's thinking he would never do this with the mother of his children. He's got kind of a virgin horror thing going on there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also realistic to think that he might. He's he's very, very entrenched in sort of conventional, really sexist ideas of how, of how female sexuality is supposed to go. And Beth can challenge that in a way that, you know, it's, it's again, it's not that Michonne doesn't challenge him. I think Michonne does absolutely nothing but challenge him. Mm-hmm. Again, it's one of the reasons why it works really well. But Beth can challenge that in a way that I don't really think any other character on the show could, precisely because of what she appears to be. Yeah, and I think it's that appearance that is what's challenging, you know, because with Michonne, like, I mean, she's she's a very, like, obviously she's a very complicated character, but in a sense, what you see is what you get. You see this very strong you know warrior queen which is how she's represented and then with him they're the they're the king and queen of the apocalypse right, and like even a power though, couple exactly and even though they're you know they're much more complicated than that and you know she has you know she lost her son and he has whatever you know like they're still like on the surface they work together and like the fact that on the surface rick and beth don't work together and you know in the you know conventional sense of working together that's where that tension comes from. Whereas with Rick and Michonne, there are other sources of tension. And it's just, it's not to say that one of them is more interesting or more, you know, or better or more valid than the other. It's just that the show, yeah. And the show, the show is deciding to explore the tensions between Rick and Michonne. And we're saying like, well, you know, Rick is an awesome character and it would be really cool to see what, 
this, you know, how he would evolve if he were given a different partner and a different kind of challenge. Yeah. And again, you can only do that through fan fiction. And, mm-hmm. and personally, I mean, this is this is one of the other things. I think we're going to kind of be dipping in and out of this rather than talking about it necessarily on its own. This is one of the things that frustrates me a lot about people who give us shit about... I mean, I, I, I think that this is almost impossible for them to understand. If Given that you and I had Canon Daryl as somewhere on the A spectrum, regardless of how that particularly works for him, um, you know, whether he wouldn't want to be sexually active with anybody or whether he would want to be sexually active with Beth because he feels such a strong emotional connection to her and he feels so safe with her. But a lot of the stuff, at least a lot of the stuff that I write, and I'm pretty sure this is true for you, I don't want it to be canon. Like, I, I would prefer that it not be canon. It's, if I if it happened, like, if Pacify happened on the show, well, it'd be, it'd be fucking hot, but also I'd be like, this is, this doesn't work with this universe. Like, this is, this could only happen in fan fiction, and I, I, I don't think that it would work with the narrative on the show, and, and, and for me, that's, I mean, it would it have been interesting if Beth and Rick had happened in, back in, you know, kind of season three and getting into season four? Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that I would want it to happen. And that's that's one of the reasons why fan fiction is so great. You can take these things that you don't even necessarily want to be canon and you can explore them in a place where you have complete control. You're not depending on writers who might fuck it up. And it's it's a safe space to explore that's one of the reasons why dark fic is so important. It's a safe place to explore stuff that maybe frightens you, or maybe that you don't actually, you would really prefer not to see because you find it so disturbing, but you have complete control over it in this space. And that's one of the reasons why it's so attractive to do it there. Yeah. And I think like that, that not letting the writers fuck it up. That's something that I think, cause like when you, you said, you mentioned that you don't want Beth and Daryl to have a sexual relationship in canon. Or I do, but I don't. It, it could never be. It could never be BDSM relationship. I just don't think that would fucking work. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Because like what I what I was thinking is that like, I I mean, I would love them to have a sexual relationship because I want to see them have sex. Like a lot, of, it's very it's very selfish. Um, but also like you know, I think they both deserve that the physical happiness, the the physical and emotional happiness that that would bring. Um, you know that neither of them have it seems like neither of them have experienced with anyone else um then again like do we trust these writers enough to you know not make it like oh suddenly daryl is a straight heterosexual who wants to fuck this pretty girl no they have to treat it in the sense that this is a man who has not experienced sexual attraction which that's another, that's one thing that I really wanted to ramble about yesterday, but I never got around to it, so I might ramble about now. He's never been shown to to feel sexual attraction to anyone, regardless of gender, regardless yeah. of anything. Um, and it's extremely if he and Beth do end up having a sexual relationship, that is extremely meaningful. And like as you know, quote unquote, brave as the writers are being for you know giving Jesus that sort of throwaway comment that confirms that he is gay in canon. That's not brave. Yeah, I know. That's sorry, why, it's just that's, not. That's why, that's why I said quote unquote. Right. Like, I heard what, scare quotes. Yeah. Like what they, what they like, I mean, it's amazing that they have, you know, uh, Oh, I keep forgetting about Eric. They do have four living yeah. gay characters on the show, but like, I, like it's none of them are particularly like 
challenging in terms of the the work that they do. And I think having Dar- like make like if Daryl and Beth were to sleep together, I would be like, yeah, I. Now that I think about it, it's like, no, I don't want it to happen. Because if it doesn't happen exactly the way that I want it to, I'm going to be extremely angry. Because (laughs) personally, as someone who is gray ace, struggling, questioning, whatever, like, like, you know, coming to realize what Daryl means and what his representation means. And the fact that, as we were talking about before, like, can you name five characters ace characters not not even mentioning like bisexual erasure but can you name five asexual characters even coded asexual um on you know in any form of media anywhere off the top of your head and like i you know i can't come up with anything so like again if the writers were to make have daryl barrel have daryl and beth have sex i I would need them to acknowledge that and I would need them to be brave because so far they're, you know, I, the way they write Daryl is so different from the way that they talk about him because Norman is an international sex symbol and he's marketed as the sex symbol of the show. And they talk, you know, on panels, they always talk about who's going to get Daryl's dick, etc. But they never talk about the fact that on screen, that's not what's happening. It's not what is you know, going to happen in the sense that they're talking about it. Well, that's, I, I think, I think that's, that's true a lot. And I think partly it's because we, we still don't really know how to talk about asexuality as a culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that they don't, especially in, in a situation like I would feel fine talking about asexuality. I would feel encouraged to talk about asexuality at, at a con like WISCON, which is, you know, fandom, science fiction, and fantasy, explicitly feminist, explicitly social justice and it's one of the things that's great about it. But in, in a situation like San Diego Comic-Con, mm. I don't know that I would feel, I don't know that I would feel comfortable. I don't know that I would feel like it's not a kind of a hostile room to that. But but I do recall, I think it was Greg Nicotero saying that he wouldn't be shocked if it turned out that Daryl was a virgin. Oh, that's I did I did forget about that. Yeah, and oh. I was like, holy shit! Like it was it was when he said that, that was one of the things. And 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 there have been little throwaway comments like that from other. I think even Kirkman has kind of said that, although he then then said some stuff about Daryl not being gay, like that made me annoyed because it, he was basically he was basically restricting Daryl to a very very limited understanding of what's a of what sexuality in general is but but i do personally especially having seen this past season right now i would trust them i i that might change next season i could be wrong if she does come back but i personally right now i think that they would acknowledge precisely because they've been writing him as i mean Obviously, they've been finding every possible reason to get him in tight shirts and to have him have no sleeves because they, I mean, they know what sex sells. They know and they know what people are watching for. But at the same time, I do think they've been very, very careful not to have him demonstrate any sexual attraction or interest to anybody, including Beth. And I think that that was really Mm -hmm. I think that was really careful on their part. So I do think they get it. And I do think that provided the writers and especially Gimple have control and aren't aren't being pushed in a excuse me in a certain direction by amc i do think that they would 
I do think they would handle it at least passively, and I think they actually might handle it quite well. Yeah, I think we'd yeah. be okay. I hope. I hope so, because that, like, you know, that's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, if it, if it doesn't happen the way I want it to happen, I'll just be like, just no, happen. it just shouldn't happen. Yeah, but like that—that's also something that I was thinking about a lot last night in terms of. Last night, I was thinking about it in terms of I forget how I got onto this thought process, but thinking about the hostility that some Rickle shipper, Rickle shippers have to the idea that Daryl is not gay, and they're the the complete um, uh, what's the word uh, the complete sort of self assurance that Daryl is repressed homosexual, which is a possibility, but it yeah. would be it, it's totally a possibility, you know, like asexuality can look this you know if you're looking at it from an outside point of view it can look the same as repressed sexuality um it can feel i mean i'm talking from experience it can feel the same sometimes as repressed sexuality um but that's not what the editing and the writing shows because it would be so it would have been so easy just thinking about just the scene where they catch rick and michonne coming out of the bedroom for the first time when Michonne is basically dressed or Rick has his shirt off and there's, that would be such an easy moment to give Daryl just this like half second of looking at Dar- of Rick's bare chest and then looking away because he's embarrassed or uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have that. He's reacting the same as everyone else just being sort of like, okay, there's no danger. What's happening? Wait, why are they undressed? What? You know, like, there's no, like, sexual connotation there. And it would be, it would be so, it would have been, it's, it's just something that's so easy for an editor to slip in, which, you know, I'm sure there are shots of Norman, like, looking at the women's butts or whatever. Like, that's, like, it would, you know, um, it's, it's something that would be so easy to slip in. And the fact that they have not slipped it in at all, whereas, you know, they have full sex scenes with, Maggie and Glenn with Abraham and Rosita, Rick and Michonne, Rick and whatever. Um, it's just like, it's, I think that like, like, like I said, like, I think that, you know, believing that, you know, Daryl is repressing sexual desires towards men is a completely valid reading, but I don't think that that's what the writers are intending, you know, or at least nothing that simple. Yeah, not 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 a very conventional way of talking about that or or a way of writing that and depicting that, because, I mean, I think this would be a good way to kind of slide into um, Rick and Daryl. I mean, one of the ways in which because I do have kind of a headcanon for how it could work. Yeah, I mean, especially season three is is such a fucked up season but it's also such an important season because it's where a lot of these relationships really kind of take root and are established in a way that gimple can pick them up and run with them in season four that rick and daryl have some pretty intense scenes emotionally in because i mean that's really the first season you see it some in season two and i absolutely love it but but in season three you're really seeing how uh, Daryl is, is connecting with Rick on a familial level in a way that he hasn't, he isn't really with almost anybody else except maybe Carol. But, but like this guy is becoming a Merle replacement. But you also, I mean, it wouldn't have taken very much in the way of writing to kind of, to kind of edge those scenes in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You, cause it's, I mean, it's not difficult for two skilled actors, which, which Andy and Norman both are 
to have a little have like a hint of tension even just from Daryl's Daryl's end and one of the things that that is also Ch- Cherry is kind of my big thing right now for exploring the dynamic between these three characters and mm-hmm. one of the you know I I recently wrote that chapter that was basically just Daryl, I just meant it to be the fucking blowjob chapter, and it ended up being Daryl kind of being like, "Oh God, I have like, I'm in love with you, and I don't really get it." And it was almost like that it was almost like was, the chapter was so beautiful. I still haven't gotten uh, over it. I'm like, oh, uh, it was. I didn't expect it to go that way, and 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 the like the thing the thing about it that came out of nowhere and kind of kicked me in the chest was the very end where you know they've had they've had the tower blowjob jerk off session and it's been super hot but but um then you know rick is like i'm gonna stay up here for a little bit once you go down and daryl's like desperately wanting to be like no like i just want to hang with you can we just like sit we don't even have to talk we don't have to do anything i just want to sit next to you and just be here and i think that although like i want to talk more about this i think that the the dynamic between Rick and Daryl is also very different from Beth and Daryl and, and Beth and Rick and is super interesting. There's there's an emotional side there. Like I think it's I think because of who Daryl is, you would it would be impossible to separate emotional attraction from sexual attraction. Yeah. He would just have such a deep emotional connection to anybody he was also sexually attracted to. And if I mean, I obviously think that one would have to go before the other. He his emotional attachment to Rick is him discovering that and discovering all of the facets of that. You can sort of have that almost be part of canon in terms of a possibility without even necessarily injecting a sexual component. You can do that with Beth too. And it's one of the, we've talked about this before when we had that big episode on with Daryl's sexuality. It's, you can do that with him in a way that you can't with any other character on the show, really, because with any other character on the show, the presence of sexual attraction is implicit. It's like, well, of course, this person could feel this for the right person. Whereas with Daryl, it's actually kind of an open question. Mm. That was hugely rambling and went all over the place. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean, I totally got it. And I think that, yeah, I've, I've been really annoyed with myself because I haven't been, I've been like in, need of like more domestic brickle but like i haven't been writing it fast enough to satisfy myself because no one else is writing it um, i'll work on it I'll thank work on you it. i love you um but anyway i was I've, I've been rereading my um and baby makes four series and like reread and i last night actually i reread the chapter in the prequel prequel you know esque um uh, story that I did that talks about how all three of them got into the relationship together. Right, and, which is obviously hugely influential on Cherry too. Like seriously, you're like my model for a lot of this stuff. You are too, man. Like I, we like feed. Like, I'm I, after like you know my between like the extremely kinky thing that I wrote and then the extremely kinky thing that you wrote. We're gonna spiral into like the kink stratosphere. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's awful. And like I sort of love that, but I'm also terrified. Um, <laughs> And now I, what was I talking? Oh, right. The, the, the chapter where Daryl finally sort of, you know, gives in, for lack of a better word, to whatever he's been feeling for Rick. And he just sort of, like, collapses. You know, yeah. like, the, the way I wrote it, like, you know, if you haven't read this, if you as in the audience, if you haven't read the scene, basically, like, they're having this heated, angry conversation. And Rick is like, 
you know, if you want to leave, you know, if you don't want this being a sexual relationship or whatever, you know, like you can leave, just tell me and go. And Daryl just sort of drops to his knees and gives Rick a blowjob. But it's super hot. And it's, yeah, it's hot, but like, it's not just a blowjob. It's also just like, it's Daryl sort of surrendering to this part of himself that he does not understand. And I really, I really want to do a Daryl point of view for that sort of aspect of the series because I think that like the the way I want that series to go is that the the attraction that all of them feel for each other is wrapped up in the attraction they feel for the other person Mm -hmm. if that makes sense you know like it totally does yeah so I think that like like there you know in my head Daryl always had these sort of simmering feelings for Rick but they didn't really come out until like Beth kicked him in the chest with the feelings for her. And then he's like, wait, shit, what is going on? This is nothing that I've ever experienced before. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I think that like those active, those activating moments, the fact that like that, ugh, I, I always think about that scene in season three, when Rick like screams in Daryl's face, like, I need you. you like, oh, you God. like, what was it? Um, uh, I literally looking at the scene last night. It was like when he screamed in his face, "I need you," and the look on Daryl's face is just it's like heartbreaking. No one has yeah, like no one. That's literally all he wa- all he wants is for someone to need him in a way that you know is not just be- for the the things that he can do for them. You know, not just because of the fact that he can hunt deer and whatever is building those relationships with the Woodbury people in season four. You know, he wants someone. He needs someone to need him. Because no one, you know, barring maybe, you know, in my head, his relationship with his mother, no one's needed him in his whole life. They've all left him, which is one reason why I'm so freaking pissed off at season seven, Rick, even yeah. though, it, you know, it, 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 it I under like, I think it's totally in character. Oh, yeah, um, you should be pissed off. I think the show wants you to be pissed off. Yeah. And it's also this has got a whole nother topic about how sort of Michonne is slipping into the right hand man position that you know, Daryl slash Glenn had been, you know, been for Rick for the majority of the show. And now Daryl really has no place in the hierarchy or this family, yeah. you know, any part of the family anymore. But um, I digress. Just the fact that, you know, <laughs> Daryl is someone who needs to be needed. And I think that, like, I wrote a post last night where it's like, you know, Daryl being like, I don't know how to sex, but Beth likes when I sex, so I'm going to sex. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that that's how I see him and his interactions, whether it's with Beth, whether it's with Rick, whether it's with Carol, if that's what you're into. You know, is that what he just wants other people to need him, and he wants other people to be happy, and I think he gets happiness from other people's happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, a sexual like a sexual relationship with Rick is not as it's it would be hot as fuck and it would be beautiful because it's you know we know the issues that Daryl has with touch um and you know the sexual issues he probably has and just the idea of him connecting with someone on that on a sexual intimate level would be beautiful as fuck but like it take it's you're right it takes a backseat to the importance that Rick has for him in so many other ways and that's not as true with the relationships that are sexual from the outset like with Maggie and Glenn 
Um, even though I love them as a couple, I, you know, they're sort of like, I mean, they're, they're the characters that were written to be together sexually, romantically forever and ever. Amen, whatever. And so they're, they're, I feel like the, the writers don't need to take such care in making them fit together as people. Um, whereas with Rick and Daryl, it's like, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's just like the sexual relationship is possible, but it's not needed for them to be important to each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. And, ah, now I was, oh yeah, no, I know what I was going to say. The, the, the other thing that I think, and this is, this is, I think in some ways even more true if you want to get uh, Beth and Daryl and Rick together. And I, I love what you said about how their relationships I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're so wrapped up, all of them in each other. And in fact, there can be this kind of inciting moment that opens it up, opens it up completely, especially for Daryl. And that also happens in Sherry, although I don't know how in character it actually is, even though it's hot, but um, you, you have to, and this is one of the things I love about Daryl as a character written on the show is his his attitude toward queer people, which just appears to be kind of a shrug. Like he's, he's, I think, and I think this has a lot to do with how it makes sense that he would feel about sex in that he kind of, like I, I, in one of, in one of my personal favorite fics that I don't think a lot of people actually have read for whatever reason, partly because I think it's just kind of weird and wrapped up in poetry and it's not very straightforward and it kind of wanders. Um, he's, but it's one of my favorite images that I've ever gotten of, of how Daryl feels about sexuality. It's like he's at this party and everybody's having a great time and everybody's talking and everybody's making jokes and everybody gets all the jokes and everybody gets all the little in reference, inside references and all the little in jokes. And, and he's just kind of standing there and he doesn't understand what any of the jokes are about. He doesn't get them and he doesn't get the references and he feels entirely disconnected and he doesn't want to be there because he doesn't feel like he understands the language that's being spoken. And, and then he starts to see that actually nobody at the party is having a good time. They're all just pretending. And it's, I I feel like that, you know, that, that, that kind of, especially if you had canon him as ace, I feel like that works in the sense of, kind of, you know, I don't want to say not getting it because I think that that's, that's kind of a disparaging way of viewing asexuality, but that he just feels disconnected from this kind of emotional, physical language that people who aren't ace feel and express toward each other. But I also think that that means, and and this is something else that I just wrote in Cherry, I'm sorry, I keep talking about it. That fic is just so wrapped up in my head right now. But that he just, you know, he fundamentally, for him, it's all just people having sex. Like he doesn't really see why who people have sex with is an issue like he doesn't understand on a really deep level why this is a problem because it's all just fucking so you know he he, i'm sure he grew up in the most homophobic environment and we've seen indications that merle gave him shit along gendered and sexual lines and i'm i'm you know I'm, i'm sure that he grew up in in an in an environment in a neighborhood in a school to the extent that he went to school where if you know even if if there was any hint that a kid was gay, that kid's life might be in danger. Mm. But I think that he just, you know, he gets to Alexandria, excuse me, he gets to Alexandria and he, you know, he meets Aaron and he's just kind of like, you know, yeah, I'll come to dinner with you and your boyfriend. <laughs> like, I don't care. So getting, kind of imagining him working through 
the fact that he's having emotional romantic slash sexual feelings for another man like I don't view him as being freaked out necessarily on like a homophobic level exactly but being aware of the fact that he is wanting and feeling things that for most of his life have been unacceptable and how he's kind of fitting that into what his most of his life experience has been if that makes any sense yeah and like going off of that I think all like I think that I mean, I do agree that sort of his reaction to the gay characters that he's met has been basically like a shrug. But like, I think it's to me, at least it feels like it's not just a shrug. It's also where he feels more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Since, yeah. I mean, it, I'm actually surpri- I'm sort of surprised he has not had many scenes with Tara. You know, if you think about this, but it's like, you know, as soon as he got to Alexandria, he was not chilling with, you know, Rick or his family anymore. He was hanging out with Aaron and Eric and Denise. And yeah. I think that, I mean, I, th- I feel like we've spoken about this before that like he feels more comfortable with the people who don't fit. And then that description you just gave and like, was that a fic that you wrote the party thing? Yeah. Yeah. I must've read it at some point, but I don't remember, but like, it's just that image of so like stunning of him just like standing there and watching everyone go through these social rituals and not getting it. And I don't know, thinking of it that way, I would I would wonder actually if him if he feels more comfortable having unconventional or having feelings for people that where those relationships would be considered unconventional, if he might be more comfortable with that than he yeah. would be if he got with someone like Carol or like Jesse or whatever, you know, because like he would it would it's a place he's used to feeling uncomfortable and he's used to feeling out of place and he doesn't understand the heterosexual normativity that everyone around him is always performing or most people around him are performing yeah and he's always been punished and you know he's been punished for not fitting into those norms so i think that that's something i've never thought out about before is that relationships with rick in terms of gender and with beth in terms of you know how it looks on the outside, um, age gap, who she is, whatever. Like there's an element of not wrongness, but an element of sort of like offness there that it doesn't really align with the, you know, the expectations that the old world would have of him. So that's, yeah, that's an angle I've never really thought of is that like one of the reasons why he might not go into a, you know, a gay panic or a panic at all over a relationship with Rick, a sexual relationship with Rick would be because that's just where he's always thought he's belonged, not necessarily um, being sexually attracted to men as, you know, being that thing, but just belonging somewhere that other, you know, the majority of people don't belong. Yeah. Yeah, there's and there's that wonderful scene with him and Aaron. I will never stop being angry that we're not getting scenes with him and Aaron anymore. I mean, I loved that relationship in, in season five. But there's that wonderful scene in, at the end of, toward the end of five, where Aaron, you know, kind of is and kind of isn't following him. And then it's like, hey, can I tag along and we can talk? And Daryl's like, fine. And they... Aaron like explicitly says like you know you're like me like they they are not comfortable around you they don't understand Mm -hmm. you and in that sense you know we're both we're both kind of on the same wavelength and I absolutely love that 
because I actually kind of hadn't thought about that so much either, that he would he would almost be uncomfortable with what would be considered the norm because he has never felt normal. Yes. Like he's, he's just, and, and that's, I mean, if you want to classify ex-sexuality as a kind of queerness, which I absolutely do because it is completely opposed to what we would construct as the norm. And that is what queerness basically is. Then pretty much any relationship Daryl ever got into would kind of be intrinsically a queer relationship on some level. Even if it looks from the outside like like heteronormativity, it still wouldn't really, because I just don't think he's heteronormative. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what you said about Rick, I, I'm sorry, about Aaron telling Daryl, like, we're the same, that, of course, reminds me of Beth saying we were the same, you know, in season two, reacting to the loss of, for Beth, her mother, and for Daryl, Sophia, yeah. is that they both, they retreated to the periphery that's i mean that's the that's the most basic way of understanding that i think it goes deeper than that but they both sort of drew they pulled away from the group and they pulled inside themselves and that you know in a way that was not acceptable to the rest of the group is that daryl you know went across the field and beth tried to kill herself um and was catatonic before that yes exactly um so I forgot the whole point of why I want, I started talking about that. I'm so sorry. No, um, that, 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 that when she was saying that they're both the same. Yeah. That they're both the same. And that, yeah, yes. That reminds me is that one of the things that I was, um, that when I met with Cecilia, who to the audience is a, an editor of a, uh, sci-fi and erotica press that Sunny has written for and who has graciously given me an internship, which I'm excited yeah. about. Um, one of the things that she mentioned that was so mind blowing to me is that like within a relationship, whether it's sexual or it's like an intense relationship, it changes the universe with between those characters and for the way the characters view the world. Um, and so this idea that two characters who are on the periphery sort of, you know, come together and create this new world for themselves. It's that's what you know, the apocalypse genre is, is that it's, you know, apocalypse comes from the Greek word for um, revelation and the revelation would be, you know, a complete, this, a a new vision of what's possible that's divorced completely from the past. And that's, that's what, I mean, that's why Daryl, you know, you know, Daryl's whole, um, you know, when you boil his character down to a marketing point, he's the character that became, fully himself after the world fell apart. He's the only person who his life is better. Well, not now, but for a while, his for life, a while. Was, for a while, his life was better after the apocalypse than it was before then. And I think that that's exactly because of, you know, what we've been talking about is that he was always the person who, you know, was on the outside, who was not part of the fabric of society. But once, you know, it falls apart and once you have that revelation that the unearthing of things that have been repressed by the structure of the society we have now, that's why people like Daryl, not because he is, you know, asocial or, you know, a menace to other people or is violent or whatever. Um, You know, the way he appeared to be in the, the early seasons, it's because he is different, I think is why he has thrived because he's, you know, the structures that 
had held him down and held him in place and made him feel other are if you dismiss, you know, if you forget that the show is being written by people still within those structures, theoretically in the apocalypse, those structures are disappearing. And that's why characters like him, I think make, it makes sense for them to thrive in that kind of environment. Yeah. And in fact, there, there's, there's another, Oh, that's yeah. Well, like when Beth, uh, and still says it's like you were made for how things are now. Mm-hmm. And that's just, God, we could, we could write, you could write an entire dissertation on that, on that entire mm-hmm. episode. It's, it's that amazing. But what she's saying there, it's always, it's always been my interpretation that, that she meant that as a compliment, but that that's not necessarily how he took it. Because yes. I think that he, he's, in some ways, I think he's not self-aware at all, simply not because he's oblivious, but because he doesn't understand himself. Mm-hmm. But I think that he's also, I mean, we know he's incredibly perceptive. We know he's insightful and we know he really, really gets details. And I think he's completely aware of that, that, that he, it took the end of the world and the suffering of a lot of people, Mm. like the suffering and death and destruction of just about everything and everyone for him to flourish. And if I were him, I would feel an incredible amount of guilt about that. Even if it wasn't his, but he makes everything his fault, regardless of whether or not it's his fault. Oh my! I I never thought about that before. Oh God! <laughs> this is just that's, gonna turn into a big Daryl squeeze fest. That's so. That's, Isn't that terrible? The idea that like he's happy because like billions of other people have got, are sad is like, oh my God, that would and kill he him. Him, he would hate himself for that. Yes, and like I totally agree with you. I totally like. I mean, my my interpretation of that scene is that, um. You know, he thinks Beth was saying, like, you're made for the way things are now because you can kill things. Um, and maybe maybe that was maybe I need to think about that more. But, like, I think that you're right. He isn't self-aware. Like, I wasn't aware of this train of thought where, like, maybe she was recognizing the fact that he was made for a world where people like them who, you know, w- weren't meant to survive. Like, I in one of my earlier fics, I wrote this line where like their bond, one of their bonding lines is that like no one, you know, no one expected Daryl to survive as long as he has either because, you know, he's yeah. whatever, you know, he, oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like that these, these two people who are not meant, weren't meant to flourish or survive in a certain sense in the old world have a, a new chance in this one. And the, you know, that's what Daryl's made for. He's not made for this because the world is violent and cruel and awful. And he's, that's what he's used to. It's because he, it's, it's just, it's, he's never, I don't know. I'm just, (laughs) I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed right now. Like all I'm having so many. Oh Christ. and this is not at all what we were supposed to be talking about. Well, but fuck it. Terrible. I don't care. <laughs> I guarantee you people are still going to want to listen to this. It doesn't really matter. I feel like our audience would rather listen to us. Most of our audience would rather listen to us talk about Daryl than about Honestly. Beth and Rick. So, Well, I mean, they can suck it up. But, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I love that, God, I... Our corner of the fandom is the only people who fucking get it. And honestly, I think it's a minority of people within this corner of the fandom who fucking get it, to be perfectly blunt. It's that 
Beth is an outsider too. That that what connects both of these characters, one of the things that connects both of these characters, and Beth I think is much more aware of this in some ways than Daryl is. Because for Daryl it's just a feature of his landscape. But I think for Beth, I think it's reasonable to think that maybe Beth wasn't I mean, I kind of wrote her this way in Albiers for a song as sort of somebody who was comfortable with herself, but it was also aware of the fact that she didn't quite fit with everybody else because she's such an old soul in a lot of ways. But I think that it's reasonable to suppose that before the end of the world, she, you know, she had a very normal, she had a very normal life, probably. You know, she had a boyfriend, she went to high school, she was going to graduate, she was probably thinking about college. It's, she, it, the end of the world... The, the end of the world kind of brought Daryl into a situation where he could be in a community and he could be part of a family because he had never had, all like you say, all those structures that were kind of keeping him away from everybody and keeping him separate and making him feel deeply out of place. Those are all gone. But Beth has become, I think, I think it's reasonable to suppose, although it's not necessarily the case, that, that the end of the world has made her into an outsider. And not necessarily in a bad way. I think she's still very comfortable with who she is. But she is, and it's not just because she's not necessarily supposed to be the one who survives. She's, it's still kind of, I think, that she's a bit of an old soul. And she's nurturing in a way that isn't necessarily valued. And she's, she under, she has an understanding of how life works in a way that's not necessarily valued as much. And her recognition of that with him is, oh God, it's so fucking beautiful. I'm just going to sit here and cry. <laughs> It's just so cool. Don't you think that's beautiful? Oh my god, don't oh my god. do that. Uh, um, I know. Like the way the way that I I mean the way that I had Canon Beth before the end of the world is that like she like you said, she had that normal pasty white existence, mayonnaise, whatever. But yeah. like I th- like I I mean I think that emotionally under that she did feel out of place. And I think part of that is sort of for me, at least the way that I understand her and is the, this, the way that she felt like she looks, she looks like this extremely normal farm girl and the pressure to conform to that, I think would have left her feeling very disjointed with herself. Um, but that's one, one, you know, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I feel like, you know, she was so quick to get together with Zach at the prison is, you know, maybe yes, she wants, she wants a, you know, someone to love her or whatever. But I think also it's because she wants things to appear normal and she wants to, you know, have this appearance of normality, you know, and that doesn't work for her, obviously, because that's just not who she is. She comes into herself when she's with Daryl because neither of them look like who they are. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, as you said, like Beth is aware of that. Well, Daryl just thinks he's a shit person, you know, which is, so sad but it's also you know beautiful because because beth has that self-awareness about herself she can use that to help daryl understand himself and oh my god what what was it i was and it was starting to happen too before it got cut off so quick yeah and i think i think it was in fall right in i think there was this one chapter that like blew me away um where it was like daryl was trying to help beth feel better about um her PTSD or something. And the way he was talking about it, it was he and the reader were slowly coming to realization that he was actually talking about himself. Oh yeah. I remember, I think I remember that chapter. Yeah. And I think that 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 is what is so beautiful about them is that they, 
they they just know each other, but they don't even know it, you know. Yeah. And even even when they, like, I think that they were, as you said, they were on the cusp of knowing it, but alas, TV sucks. He picked up the fucking book. I'm never gonna be over the book. Oh. Never. Like, and even the, and the pad. I mean, I think I mean the pad of paper might have been just to the bur- to burn and distract walkers. But I do I do agree. I prefer to think that it was to take notes. He had okay. a he had a pencil and a highlighter. Yeah, yeah. He had a pencil and a highlighter. That is how detail oriented these writers are. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and you only see it for a split second. Oh my fucking god. Okay, okay, but no, but but one of the things, like, to drag this back to multi-shipping, but I do think it's natural to inject it here, one of the things that I love about writing the three of them together is that, yeah, you do have this dynamic that works so well and is so, is so intrinsically healthy and is unique. Like, Noah, I don't think any other two characters on the show could have it because that's just not how any of them work. And then you have Rick, and you throw Rick into the middle of this, and he is just... I forget, God, I forget what fic I described him like this in, but that Rick is a wrench throwing himself into every machine he can find. He's just... he. I, lo- I, I love the idea of setting up, you know, we all we all love Beth and Daryl and, you know, we all we all write them as kind of this very healthy relationship and very loving and very supportive. And then you take this fucked up man and you just throw him right in the middle of it. And he's so disruptive. But like this fucked up man who thinks he isn't fucked up because he's acting like white men who are straight yeah. are supposed to act. Yeah. And he doesn't have that, you know, because he's never been an outsider. He doesn't have the same level of self-awareness that Beth and Daryl do. So maybe he doesn't even know that he's a wrench in the works until he gets closer to them. Um, I don't remember, I don't remember that line in one of your fix, but that's like so awesome. It was, it was a, it was, it it meant it to be a throwaway line. And then later on I was thinking, God, yeah, he, he is, he wrote, he he put him in the middle of any system and he ruins it. That's because so he's true. trying to make it he's trying to make it conform to who he is. He, yes. he he can't he can't conform to a system. He's making it conform to him. So put him in the middle of Alexandria and he just fucks it all up. And granted it deserves to be fucked up. It's it's a bad dysfunctional system at the end, but he ruins he ruins everything. He's a bad leader and he ruins <laughs> everything. But in a I mean you 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 say that he's he's never really been an outsider and I think to some degree that's true. I especially think that that well actually hmm. he may not feel like an outsider but I think you can pick out little tiny things in his history where he actually I mean growing growing up especially growing up as best friends with Shane he you know yeah. if, you, if you infer that he was shy and he didn't know how to talk to girls and then he found the girl and he stayed with her and he was faithful to her and he loved her and he might have felt a little out of place that way because he wasn't necessarily conforming i mean in some ways he was absolutely conforming to what you're supposed to do especially if you're a nice southern boy but Mm. in other ways he kind of wasn't and now you know yeah he he has his people and he's sort of this you know biblical patriarch and He's, you know, he's very powerful and he's got this powerful woman by his side and they're both, you know, they're warrior royalty. And, and, and it, on the surface, it looks, you know, it looks very conventional. But I also think that, and especially if you, given how we both write him as, as really kind of sexually messed up, he deep, deep down, I think, may feel like he is 
he is kind of out of place. And I think maybe you could see that in, in the fact that he tries to make every system conform to him because he can't conform to a system. He, he can't feel in place in things as they are. He, the one time we've seen him try to change himself was, you know, at the beginning of season four. Yeah. And we, know, we all know how that ended. <laughs> he, was, he was faking it and he wasn't faking it well and it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> no, you just like you just blew my mind. Like, uh, I mean, like, I, I mean, I know, like, I've always thought of, I mean, well, especially after Say Yes, which I think was such a gorgeous character study for both of them. Similar, oh my to, god, you know, yeah. similar to the way that Still was for that Beth was their Still, that yeah, was their Still, totally was, totally was. Like, I like Rick is arrogant as fuck, and he is selfish as fuck, and like that idea that like he needs the world to be in his image is you know it's the imperialistic white male perspective and yeah it's like oh shoot i was thinking something so smart and it went away <laughs> no it's, it's like and this idea of sort of like of like reorder reordering the world that that he and michonne were talking about it's like it goes into the question of you know Oh no, that's what I was gonna say. Is that like if you think of it, if you think of it the way that you're talking about it, it's like it's again, it comes down to this, you know, critique of which I think all apocalypse genre does is a critique of our, you and me, our modern society, and this, you know, uh, this is getting so like Foucauldian or whatever. But it's like, I mean, that's my dissertation. Let's do it. Yeah, I, it's just it's like every like. You know, all three of these characters that we've talked about, they all feel out of place or disjointed because they don't fit. But they, the way that they don't fit is so different and so yeah. unique to each of them. Um, and I think Rick's whole thing is that, you know, I think Rick, I see Rick as sort of similar to Beth in that he was doing, he always did, like, you know, what, like you said, the good Southern boy, he always did what he was expected to do. And what, you know, people want, you know, what the world thought was a good thing for him to do. And having that world fall apart and not having those, that support system anymore just sort of leaves him floundering. And like you said, the way that he tries to get control back is by shaping the world into his own image. Um, and that's sort of, it's one of the things that I, I made a post about at the beginning of season seven when after he loses his entire male support system um, in Glenn and Daryl and Abraham. Oh yeah. That post. Yeah. Like this is that male support system. It's that's, I think that's what breaks him even more than, you know, losing one of his dearest friends and seeing that brutality and feeling that helplessness is that he doesn't have the male support system that the world says he needs to count on. He has a female support system, but he doesn't, know how to utilize that yeah it's it's just not part of his mental makeup and that's because of you know again what our society had told him is what's supposed to be maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons why he and laurie fell apart is again he was trying to impose those old not old world like uh, how do you uh, pre-apocalypse those pre-apocalypse ideas onto a woman who maybe is not going to be that anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, his relationship with Laurie is so interesting and nobody talks about it. Mm. 
and it, 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 maybe I'm wrong about that, but my sense, and I think it's partly just because it's in the past, but I think it's also because there's a lot of fandom disrespect for Laurie. And, you know, yeah, she wasn't written that well, and she wasn't written that consistently. And I think partly it's Kirkman's fault because she was a Kirkman character. And that was before, I mean, honestly, it was before. I love what, generally speaking, except for two, not two, but except for a couple of major things, I love what Scott Gimple has done with these characters. And that was before he had control of them. And it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with Laurie. But there's that wonderful little, it would be easy to interpret it as a throwaway scene in like the first, I don't know if it's the first episode. I don't think it is because the first episode is just Rick raking up and discovering what's happened to the world. But it's it's like one of the first couple of episodes where Laurie is talking to one of her friends. And I think if I'm remembering this correctly, forgive me if I'm not, but I think she's saying that one of the reasons why it's so frustrating to be married to Rick is that he won't fight. Like he just shuts off. He won't off. fight for them. That was he, and, well. He and and when he won't fight with her, like she wants to have a yeah. fight about something, not because she wants to have conflict, but well, she kind of does. Like she wants to have it out. She wants to get stuff on the table, and she wants to be honest about feelings. Mm-hmm. And Rick just won't do it. He he just refuses. He just shuts down and pulls away. And I, and he kind of he does that after he finds out about her and Shane. He just he. He's, he loves her very much, and I think it's one of the things that makes how he reacts to it so heartbreaking, but he just pulls away, and he won't he won't interact with her in, in a way that's loving and supportive. And I, she interprets that as him blaming her, but I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's just, I think it's in part a control thing. I think he's really afraid of losing control of things, and the only way he knows how to deal with it in that kind of interrelationship sense is just to kind of, it's to shut down and pull away and avoid all interaction because he can't deal with conflict in that context. And of course he's, that's not where he is now. Mm. And you kind of get a sense now, I think that he might've had some stuff that he was afraid of letting out in that, yeah. in that context. I, I could be completely off the mark here, but I'm just kind of, kind of working through it as I talk. I, I think that makes sense though. You know, like the going back to the pre and post apocalypse, you know, um, comparisons is that like yeah I think it totally makes sense that there are parts left in his set again and also again going back to that the line I wrote about you know not wanting to feel those things about the mother of his children or whatever is like Lori you know Lori was a housewife she was you know they had the perfect if it were the 1950s it would have been a perfect 1950s family you know like from the outside at least and uh, it's just, oh, I lost my train of thought again. I'm so sorry. You were, <laughs> no, say, no. You were saying so many smart things and it like blew, blew my brain apart. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Just, oh, right. About, about his like repression and then the, it coming out. I think, yeah, like I think that part of him being afraid of himself and the fact that what's come out has been so terrifying it's like that repression of not just violent violent feelings, but of any feelings, it seems to be it seems to be from what Laurie, you know, from the evidence we get from Laurie, is part of that sort of fear of himself. Um, which again brings us back to the dynamic of him and Beth in the way we write them. Um, and that fear of himself as a predator. Um or as a bad person and that fear that he'll be rejected 
um, which also makes him very similar to Daryl in a lot of ways. Because I think he mm. and Daryl both, sort, you know, they both, when emotional shit goes down, they shut themselves off. Um, and we, you know, we saw that in Still, definitely. And, we've, you know, we saw that with Rick, with Laurie. But again, like, it's for it's for very different reasons. I think Daryl retreats into himself because that's the way he has, I mean, as a, you know, a survivor myself, like that's how you survive an abusive childhood environment is, or one of the ways you do is that you retreat into yourself because (laughs) quoting Hamilton, you're the only thing you can control in an environment where you, you know, everything else is beyond your control. Whereas with Rick, he retreats into himself because he's afraid that he cannot control himself. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it, it, it does. And he, he's afraid that he can't control himself. And I mean, it's, I love, is it, is it a, is it a, where he, where he rips out Joe's throat? That's, I think that yes. all happens in that episode. Yeah. yeah so, that, much, so much happens in that episode. I still, oh, whenever, so good. whenever I scroll through the episode to make gifts, I'm just like, I cannot believe this all happened in one episode and it all worked. Yeah. And it, like that, it doesn't feel crammed. The pacing yeah, is fine. That's, that's one of my favorite episodes of the series just cause like, it's just, Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're. It, it's one of the reasons why I love it, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why I love it too, is that it's so big for every character in it, but it's especially huge for Rick. And one of the things that I love about the the scene where he where he rips Joe's throat out with his fucking teeth. I mean, I I love that scene because I think violence like that is hot because I'm messed up. But I also love that scene because it's you know you you kind of you kind of got to ask the question and I don't think the show is explicitly asking it, but I think the implicit question is there. And I think it's actually there throughout the entire show, you know, to what, to what degree is this stuff that's coming out of you new and to yes. what degree has it always been there? So you kind of, you know, you look at what Rick has done and you look at kind of him. I love, I love how the episode begins with him just sitting there and he's just, he's almost catatonic. Like he's having a really hard time working through what it is that he's just done because it, it's it's like the most bestial animalistic thing that a human being could do to another human being which is kill them with their teeth like animals do that human beings don't do that also wa- walkers do that also walkers do that yeah. yeah it's one of the things one of the things that i think is just a, a total aside but one of the things i think is interesting about how people fight um i i did a i did when i was doing my uh, undergraduate coursework on sociology i did some stuff on on micro interaction on violent micro interaction and one of the things that uh, I had a really great professor in at the University of Pennsylvania named Randall Collins and uh, one of the he wrote a, a like a bible sized tome called violence and he's done a lot of work on like d- deep deep micro interaction and one of the things that he emphasized in the course that I took was that human beings suck at person to person violence and then when I went on and did my uh, did work on combat uh, when I was doing my graduate coursework, um, one of the one of the really odd and interesting and kind of troubling things about human beings who are actually physically shooting guns in combat is that the vast majority of those shots go wild. Like the human beings do, for the most part, don't hit their targets, and it's because we really, on a deep level, find it almost impossible to kill other people. We just can't do it. When we do do it, it's horrific. But it's actually those are the exceptions to the rule. We hate being violent to other people. We just we find it almost impossible. And I think it's interesting that when human beings fight each other, our impulse is to hit and kick. We, 
a lot of us don't default to nails and a lot of us don't default to teeth. And those are actually the most effective weapons we have. And so to watch Rick do that, you kind of to bring this all the way back around to what I was originally talking about, you, you know, you wonder, were we seeing something that was in Rick all along? Was that what he was afraid of? Did, he, did some part of him sense that he was capable of not just violence, but of really, really awful violence? Because, you know, then he then he kills the people from Terminus with a machete. Like, he didn't have to kill them that way. It would have made a lot more sense to just shoot them. But he wanted to kill them that violently. He enjoyed it. And, I mean, personally, I think that person was always, always in there. Mm-hmm. I think he was always that person. And I think that his his shutting off and pulling away and desperately trying to maintain civilization throughout the first couple of seasons and then wanting to go off and be a fucking farmer at the beginning of season four. And, you know, I think Gimple very purposefully writing it as this isn't going to work. This is not who this man is. Um, he's, he's just completely fooling himself. That, that, that violence in him has always been there. And watching him try to have personal, romantic, intimate relationships with people with that violence in place. I think that's interesting to watch, especially with Michonne. And I also think that the writing possibilities there are so great. And it actually makes me angry that more people don't explore them because I don't, if you're not doing that, what the fuck are you doing? I understand people want happy coffee shop they use, but I'm rambling again, but like (laughs) this guy is so great. Like explore him on that level. Yeah, and like I mean, I'm not I'm not in the Rashon fandom really at all. I've ne- I don't think I've ever read a fic about them, or if I did, it was a long time ago. But like, yeah, me neither. I really, really would love a deep understanding of their, you know, sexual um, interactions and chemistry. Because, like I said, like with you know the way that I imagine it with Beth, it makes sense because it's the rep- you know repression coming out, and it's a way for him. To work through, you know, to work through those dark parts of himself. Whereas with Michonne, I really do not see. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe her tr- her trust in she also has that trust in him, and it, you know, it would work with him, you know, using using that relationship to sort of exercise his demons. But I don't feel, especially with the sh- the moments we've gotten of them being intimate on screen. That's not what I'm feeling. And I don't know if that's because the writers don't want, you know, it's a AMC show and they're not going to like delve into Rick's BDSM, you know, particular, you know, particular particularities. But I feel like they're there. I just, I just want to understand how he and Michonne fit together with that dynamic because they're such sort of equals on the battlefield. But when it comes to being in bed and when it comes to having those you know, the stereotype of, you know, that being where the baser instincts come out. I just, I can't, it's harder, it's much harder to picture than it is with Beth. And not just because of the fact that Michonne looks like she could kill him with her pinky. Right. But because, you know, she would kill him with her pinky. Whereas I think Beth would, you know, try to figure out another way to deal with it. But I'm just, yeah, I'm really interested to see a point where Rick does something that, horrifies Michonne I think that would be an incredibly interesting interesting character moment to see when he because I think he will I absolutely think that he's not he has not gone as far as he's gonna go I think he's gonna do something horrific and Michonne is gonna have that moment where it's like do I you know do I know this person um but yeah I think what you're saying about these things being inside these people the whole time is just like 
oh, that's why I think this genre is so fascinating and why like I talk about it and I write about it with psychoanalysis and with this idea of it being sort of the the genre reenactment of trauma you know that the the pre the pre-apocalypse world is where everything is repressed and then you know sort of the id comes into play and some event occurs and those that those repressed instincts come out as symptoms but you know are those are these symptoms that they're going to work through or are they symptoms that are just who they are i don't know i'm just like oh trauma studies is so cool yeah yeah well and 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 you know this i'm i'm not i'm a sociologist obviously but but individual trauma in the context of social trauma because i don't think you get you don't get a socially traumatized world more than more intense than some kind of apocalypse regardless of what kind it is i mean Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that is so great like you say about the genre it's it's not just it's not just individual trauma it's getting a sense of trauma on a scale that i mean i think maybe in some in some countries in the world aids has been that but i think spanish flu is the last time the world experienced that kind of trauma it's just Mm. it's difficult to imagine but yeah and 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 it's not just it's not just negative stuff because the way that the way that Daryl is, you know, this 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 really deep nurturing side of him, this this really deep gentleness. Because I think it, you know, yeah, he's violent and angry right now, but I think he doesn't want to be that way. I think he's at heart who he is as a really gentle person. I think he'd rather not be violent at all. Oh, I have I have this I'm sorry I have this quote in my drafts that's like something about that. I'm sorry, I just I completely you can't remember what it is. Oh, I'm on my computer. I can look it up. Hold on. You keep talking and being smart. Okay. And I'll look it up. But, but, but I mean, that's, you know, that's watching Daryl bring that out, watching him become that person uh, to the extent that he's been allowed to do so. Um, you know, that's, that's the same question as when Rick was, you know, Rick ripped some, somebody's throat out with his teeth. It's, it's that was that person in him all along? And it absolutely was. You know, he yeah. always has been this kind, gentle person. He always has been a nurturer, but he didn't, he was never able to let that out in the world previously. He was never able to be that person. And the, the, the idea that that, when you're watching him in season one and he's just, you know, granted, I think that you're reading that into him like he's a real person. I think in season one, he was just being written this way. And I think maybe the writers didn't even really have that in mind for him. But, you know, if you think of him as a consistent character from season to season and you look at how he's yelling, throwing stuff around and attacking people just because he doesn't know what else to do. But you understand that that person who he becomes is inside him there. I mean, that's for me, that's emotionally really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And like like I another post I made about the archetype of male character that I just fall in love with is the one that like they surround themselves with violence and killing because the world has punished them for any attempt they've made to be anything else. And I think that's absolutely what happened to Daryl. And in my, you know, my extensive headcanons about him and his mom, I think that, you know, that could possibly be the founding trauma for that is that he, you know, loved his mom. It was gentle with her and she was gentle with him. But that, became so corrupted and ripped apart by, you know, for one thing, her alcoholism and, you know, his dad and the situation, you know, the poverty they were in. So it's, you know, having that foundational relationship where 
it's about love and care and nurturing, but it's corrupted in such a deep way. So it's, oh Jesus, it's, <laughs> I was rereading some psychoanalysis yesterday about how like the, um, the original love object is, or like the finding of love is always the refinding of the original love object, but the original love object never existed because the original love object was the mother's breast, which is viewed as a totality. But then the break becomes when the, infant realizes it's just part of the whole anyway um it's and yeah like because he's trying to he's trying to you know he needs to refine a love that he never experienced because it was so corrupted yeah yeah and, and yeah. i did i did find the quote i was thinking of it's okay um it's actually from love in the time of cholera so it's not just like a random tumblr quote um it's the only regret i will have in dying is if it is not for love and oh man, that just struck me as so Daryl. That's and so him. Oh my fucking it, god, that's so him. It's just it's it's not. I mean, it's not the headspace he's in right now in the show, but that's like absolutely who he is at his core. Um, and that just makes what's happening to him now hurt even more because now he's well, although you know he he's fighting for Glenn and fighting for his memory. He's trying. Yeah, he's, he's kind of trying, but I I you know that finding revenge for Glenn and, you know, dying for the sake of his love for Glenn is really the only thing he has left to hold on to. Plus Maggie's baby, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. He would, he would happily die for that. But yeah. Yeah. When he, when he goes after Negan, don't even get me started on how angry I am at this fandom for not understanding what was happening there. But, but you know, he had... after he is taunting Rosita, you mean? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and you know, he's seeing his mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just, you know, he just saw his brother get his head bashed in and now he's seeing his mom being tormented by it. And he's, yeah, he's, he's, my interpretation of that scene is that he's not even fully conscious when he attacks Negan. He's, he's being deeply triggered. It's, yeah. it's, you're seeing post-traumatic stress in the most fundamental way, but also he's doing that because he loved Glenn and he's fully expecting to die. And I think he's okay with that to the extent that he's okay with anything anymore. So yeah, for him, I mean, it's about rage and it's about violence, but he's only feeling those things because he loves these people so much. Absolutely. And the people who don't get that, I'm just like, I hate ah. those people. I, like, you know, no, he, this happened before Glenn was killed. Remember? Oh, he right. Just, it was Abraham. He yeah. just and Abraham killed, which I think but that was his family too, in a lot of ways by that point. Yeah, and I think even if I think it was I I think he also probably expected like all of them to be killed, you know that was totally a possibility. They could you know yeah. Negan could do that for fun, and then the saviors just gun them all down. Like he didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So it's like you know going out swinging and doing it to protect his mom basically, and also it's trying you know that that point of you know being in a you know having those flashbacks and being triggered but then having that adult strength to maybe possibly something about it where he never was able to do that before and even though it ends terribly like that's where he was coming from is from that position of well i have muscles i am not a powerless child anymore i do something even if it's just to give this guy you know a swollen face um It's like that's that's where it's coming from. It's not like and like you said, yeah, he I mean, this is before we got the established pattern of the saviors never killing the person who who like does the thing that they expect to be killed for because, you know, that's how they terrorize people. 
yeah, he does, he fully expected to be killed for that. He w- if he had any any inkling that what he did would have hurt anyone else, he never would have done it. No. No, and, and maybe, why? I mean, maybe, maybe he would have because he was so deeply triggered, but it's not it's definitely not what he expected. Or any of and it, it's reasonable for him not to expect it. Oh God, I can't. I'm really mad at myself for getting that backwards. That sequence of sequence of events. But y- yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I'm just. I have so many feelings about that scene, and they're all wrapped up in my anger with this fandom. Exactly. And oh God, some, something else. And this kind of this this circles back around to to not necessarily romantically putting him with Rick, but thinking about his emotional relationship with Rick, something we didn't really have time to explore, but that I love kind of thinking about is what he, I mean, obviously he felt when he saw Glenn being killed. I mean, that Glenn was his friend before Rick was Mm -hmm. like Glenn was the first person in the group. I think we really see being kind to him and accepting him at all, even if Glenn's still like, well, you're an asshole. I don't think you're a totally bad guy, but you're a complete asshole and you're racist AF. But um, it's... He accepted him, yeah. He accepted him. He was like, you know, I don't think you're at heart a bad person, and at any rate, you're necessary. You're a valuable member of this group, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, not necessarily going to be as much of a jerk to you as you're being to me, but... And also, Glenn just naturally is not a jerkish person. No! You no, know? Glenn's, Glenn's one of the sweetest human beings ever to live. But I, was actually, I, was, I was thinking last night that that I totally believe Glenn is the kind of... I was, I was thinking about the part in my one of my fics where he tells Maggie that Daryl has an awesome penis. And I was like, Glenn was totally that guy in high school who was <sighs> presumably straight, but he was friends with a... <gasps> all the girls you know and yeah. like all the all the other dude bros are like yo you're you you know you, you you're around all these hot chicks all the time and glenn's like yeah i'm friends with them i respect them as people yeah <laughs> and that's that's like that's totally how i see him is that person who's just like yeah. does not understand why do we hate each other and he's just so pure i love him yeah but literally too good for this world too pure <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. For you again. No, no. I God, we could just talk about Glenn. Oh. But yeah, like the the, fa- the shots of Daryl's face when Glenn is oh, being hit. Oh, I can't. Just, I just like, can't. That like, God, fuck that episode. Fuck that episode for the the gore and all of that. Like that just like the the gore pulled me out of whatever. The gore was inexcusable. It, it pulled me out of you know, mitigate you know, ignoring the fact that it is so disrespectful to the characters, especially you know. POC characters who it happens to more often than white characters. It was just like, it pulled me out of that intense moment where you see that even when Sophia came out of the barn, we didn't see that level of horror on Daryl's face, you know, that horror and that guilt and just. And he's literally flinching with every blow. He's flinching. And I don't think yes. any of the other characters are doing that. Yeah. The way he was flinching. I'm just like, that's exactly react when I hear like a door slam. That is, PTSD in a nutshell. Yeah. In terms of um, like identifying it visually, and it's it's just God. If they had not had the gore, that scene would have been so brilliant. But yeah, whatever. That, that episode, I like that episode is. I think that episode is much better than Coda, but I have the same kind of relationship with that episode that I have with Coda, which is that except for a small portion of it, it's actually a pretty good episode. I really love that episode. There's just, there's, there's about a 10, 15 minute 
portion of it that I think is inexcusably terrible, or at least could be great and is, is botched in a way that makes all the great stuff not great. But, Not to mention but, Negan, like, never shutting up. Gosh, God, you are so... I'm not even offended by him. He's just boring. I was trying He's to so scroll boring. through one of his, like, a mo- one of his, like, monologue scenes the other night to find, like, an, a, uh, ca- like, an exact moment that a character, another character said something. It took me, like, ten minutes because I couldn't just, like, scroll through it because it was, like, a ten-minute scene of just Negan talking. And yeah, it was awful. <laughs> it's that's that is that is the one part where Kirkman just, you know, the, Gimple's story is all great and character heavy and really interesting with slightly doofy action sequences. And then Kirkman just busts in and jerks off all over everything. And it's just like, I really I understand that you have to make him happy, mm-hmm. but it's uh... we could also just throw him out a window and say that he fell. Yeah, you could. Maybe, maybe you should cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> No, no, you you can't. I I don't. I don't know if you uh, ever watched The Simpsons, but there's like this one character that shows up on Itchy and Scratchy named Poochie, and they he they put him on there to be all popular with the kids, and he does a terrible job, so they end up killing him off screen. (laughs) They don't even kill him on screen. They say Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. The end. Oh my god! (laughs) Like, let's do that with Negan, please. Slash Kirkman, because they're the same person. Yeah, basically. But, but, oh, I remember, I remember where I was originally going with this a hundred years ago. Um, you never see, but I would love, I love thinking about what Daryl felt watching Rick be emasculated like that. Mm. Because I mean, yeah, you know, he watched, he watched Glenn get beaten to death. And that was clearly not only horrific in the way that it was horrific for everybody else, but it was also, it was also profoundly triggering to him. But then also watching, I mean, Rick is his brother too. And in many ways is, is is most that brother figure. And in some ways, I think that's actually kind of destructive. I've talked to Jackie uh, Spooky Green about that some, about how, how Rick as a moral replacement is in many respects kind of reproducing a lot of the abusive dynamic that he had with Merle. But watching watching Rick be emasculated on that level and, you know, abused in probably the same way he saw Merle be abused by their father what it felt like for him to see that because this is you know this is the big strong male pillar for him he 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 clearly admires rick and looks up to rick and depends on rick for a lot of stability and watching him just completely be stripped of his power that way that must have been horrible for him Mm, absolutely and i think yeah and also the the fact that abraham went first that's another i mean he i'm even more so than rick he like you know embodies that macho masculinity so yeah gosh everything is so complicated (laughs) yeah like it's just just everything hurts daryl everything it would be nice if they could stop (laughs) at some point i mean i am enjoying it because it's interesting but it would be nice if they could stop you know like before he just before he's too far gone just please bring him back well and that's another that's that's god like this that's another thing People have their faves on this show, but I think they very easily forget that this really is still fundamentally Rick's story. Mm. Like, he he is the core of the story, and his emotional journey is the core of the story. And this the, the question of at what point are you too far gone? I mean, that's I, I don't think it's an accident that, that the, the big turning point 
for yeah. example, where he completely jettisons all, he destroys all of season, like he literally blows up season three. Yeah. Too Far Gone is him blowing up season three. It's him, him taking Mazera and being like, no, fuck you, we're done now with everything you established and now we are playing my game. And I think it's interesting that he called that, I, maybe I, he might not have titled it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did, that that episode's called Too Far Gone. I think that that's one of the central questions. At, you know, and, and I think it's especially a central question for Rick. You know, at, at what point have you gone so far that you... At, and, and Beth echoes this too and still. Like, at what point do you have to completely get rid of who you were and mm-hmm. be only who you are? And for her, that's a good thing. Because, you know, she, I think she sees in herself that she's stronger than she was prior to the end of the world. And she sees in Daryl that he's now able to be who he was in a way that he wasn't before. But that's not necessarily a good thing for everybody else. For Rick, being who he is now and not being who he was, I mean, he may be being more true to himself now. We may be seeing the real Rick. But it's not necessarily a good person. Yeah, and it's, it's not just that it's, you know... It's it's not saying that it's bad for him, but it's bad for him in terms of like interpersonal relationships. Yeah, you know, and I think that that even though he has these extremely violent tendencies that are coming out, he also is an extremely socially dependent person, and so you know you can't have those two things existing. But I think like the the main question for Rick now is you know we have that question of when are you too far gone, but how far back could he go? Like, I feel, I feel like he, his journey is so different from Daryl's and that Daryl has that, you know, he has alone, he has that, I mean, the episode alone, he has that place where we as viewers, if not him, we see that as the place where he could go back to and potentially be happy. But for Rick, I, I don't know. Is there a place where he could be like a stable human being again? Yeah. The closest that I think we see to that is the time jump after the season six mid-season finale where we see him being very domestic with before he realizes he's in love with Michonne but where he's being very domestic with Michonne and very domestic with Carl and Alexandria settled down and it seems like he's kind of in a good stable leader position and you when he you know when he finally gets in touch with uh, or when he finally encounters Hilltop and then the saviors it all goes to hell again but for a little while we see that it might be possible for him to be that person again, at least for a time, but not sustainably. Yeah. And also the question is he's doing that because he's in the context of a community that is based on pretending the world is still what it was. Yeah. So like, I'm not. Yeah. And I do, I do wonder if, could he be that person if they were holed up at, you know, living in a campsite in the woods or holed up in a funeral home? I don't know if he could be that person if he had the pressures of survival on him. Um, Whereas I think I feel like Daryl could find that medium because he's not he's his verb is he's he's a protector. He's not looking. He he doesn't go out looking for danger unless or to kill people unless it's to lash out because someone he loves was hurt. Yeah. Like what he does with Dwight. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas with Rick, it's. He, I th- he enjoys the power rush, you know, mm-hmm. of hurting people. I definitely think that. So I do, like, I think Daryl could be stable in a dangerous outside world in a way that I don't know if Rick would be able to be. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just don't. Again, I think that one of the, I think that one of the points the show is making is that he can't. 
that that he he's kind of he's taking on this leader position we're in we're still in the dictatorship and it's not really a democracy and he's he seems comfortable in that role but he he's in that role because he can't not be and in that to that degree he's kind of trapped by himself he's not he is not allowing himself to be a free person because he's so constrained by his own nature yeah and also he when he's in this position he keeps fucking up because because he he gets drunk on this like machiavellian power is why he goes after the saviors and why negan gets his lineup you know so it's it's like this impossible position where like he can't he he wants to be this great leader and help people and rebuild the world but because he has to be that leader it's going to get fucked up because his tendencies are not dedicate or not pointed towards creating a stable world they should just know? let Ezekiel run everything Exactly. Let Ezekiel, I mean, he's, he is the perfect leader. They yeah. just let him run everything. Like, have Ezekiel, like, have bring Beth back and make, and have her be Ezekiel's, like, sergeant at arms or something, or, I'm sorry, I'm watching Sons of Anarchy, and that's, <laughs> but that's their terminology, or his vice president. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like, people like Ezekiel, or Beth, or Herschel, you know, they're the people, I think, who understand the balance that is needed, whereas Rick just doesn't. Um, as much as I love him, as as much as I just want to hug him and tell him it's okay, like he's a bad, per- he's not he's a good a sh- person. No, he's a bad person. He's a piece of shit, but I love him. And he's a shitty leader. He's a shitty best friend. He keeps abandoning Daryl. I know he's doing it for the best reasons, but when he leaves Daryl at the kingdom, and Daryl's just kind of watching him like a dog, like you're. You're doing it again, aren't you? You're leaving me by the side of the road. It's like, Rick, of all of the times you decide to lead by logic instead of by emotion is when you decide it's the logical choice to leave your best friend who had just been put through weeks of torture behind in this place he, where he knows no one. You know, that's, yeah, he, he has no friends there. Morgan's not really his friend. It's just it's just like, like, like I said, of all, like Rick is very much like an emotional leader, but that's like one of the few moments i think it's one of the few moments where he's like yes this is strategy this works and <laughs> oh my god it's just rick the wa- it's the wrong decision because he like i i think again like this the fact that he has michonne now not to you know denigrate their relationship or anything the fact that he has michonne now it's like he doesn't need daryl the same way he used to and maybe part of that part of their bond from his end was because he needed him um to be his right-hand man. Um, yeah. And now that he doesn't need Daryl in that way, it's like he can sort of separate Daryl, his best friend, from Daryl, you know, his soldier, because he has Michonne as his emotional rock right now. Yeah. The problem is I don't think Daryl knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. Da- because like like you said way back when, um, Daryl Daryl needs to be needed. Now, how how he's... I don't think he is picky about that. I think that he's so desperate to be needed that he was fine with being Rick's trained attack dog. And I think he could... You know, he would accept that again if that was what Rick wanted him to be. But... And this, this is one of the things... This is one of the things that makes me really think that something has to be building with him, whether or not it's Beth coming back. But but who he is now is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. He, I don't think right now, is capable of just being somebody's best friend, unless it's somebody like Denise, unless it's somebody like Aaron, 
who who is another outsider and who isn't expecting or needing anything from him in terms of utility. Exactly. I, I don't think he knows how to I don't think he knows how to how to do that with Rick. And it's it's one of the reasons it's one of the reasons why imagining him in a romantic slash sexual relationship with Rick is so interesting and also so problematic. Mm. How would you get them to an emotionally supportive, healthy place with each other? But when at least Daryl's relationship with him, and I think their relationship with each other in canon is at once so sweet and loving, but also so potentially destructive. Yeah, they became sweet and loving because Rick needed Daryl for his skills. You know, yeah. it's not like that. It's not like you know, like Beth and Daryl, who just sort of. Well, maybe that's not the right example, but it's it's they they beca- the reason why they be- they had they had a relationship in the first place is because Rick needed a fighter and Daryl needed a leader. Um, and those utilitarian purposes aren't, you know, like even it's it that can, you know, the relationships can change if the people in them want them to change enough. But it, it's just it's it would be so hard, especially with the plate with the way that the world is now and, you know, the way relationships has, have shifted. It would be so hard to separate those two or to sort of remake their relationship in that way. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to, if we're going to see Daryl and Rick as best friends ever again. And that's really that's sad. So fucking sad. Oh my really God. Sad. I know. But the thing is like, like you said, it's not Daryl needs someone. Um, and like revenge. Um, oh my God. What's the quote in Pacific Rim? Uh, vengeance is an open wound. Oh you know? fucking god, yeah. And like that's that's really all Daryl is right now is is vengeance for Glenn and making sure that Maggie and her baby survive. That's the that's all he has right now. But that's as you said, that's not sustainable. Um, and he, you know, I think that I I haven't read your Daryl Maggie fic just because I I I have a pro I just can't read Daryl. It's, so, it's something people, that. Like, it, I'm very, I'm just, really, I'm really interested. In, I'm really interested in what you did with it, but I just physically can't read it. Um, yeah, but I, it, I was stunned anybody did, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I'm thinking like I, like maybe Maggie could become a person for him, but she has so much of her own shit to deal with. She has Hilltop to deal with. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's no one left who I can picture being for him. You know. Yeah. emotionally like emotionally for him there's like there's no one left and until maybe judith grows up i don't know well yeah and who knows if he's gonna make it that long so yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah it the i'm glad you brought up the thing with uh the the thing i wrote with him and maggie it's like i said i i am i'm stunned that anybody read that i i did it because i thought that I did it, first of all, because I didn't know that it would work, and I wanted to see if I could make it work. And also, because that's one of the reasons why I write a lot of things. I want to see if I can take this thing that I'm not sure is going to work and actually make it work to my satisfaction. But but the other thing is I just thought that there was potentially an interesting guilt healing dynamic there to work through i totally but... I, I totally i totally agree with you like i i mean when you said you were making that thick i was like that makes total sense it's just i just can't read it so i apologize yeah. no no don't apologize like it's it's one of the things that i was interested in seeing how people would react especially given that i figured most of the people who read it would be people in bethel fandom mm-hmm. is you know can you can you 
get to the point reading this where it isn't viscerally uncomfortable. And one of the interesting mm -hmm. things that I got with a lot of reactions from people was it was viscerally uncomfortable. They read it because, you know, and this is incredibly flattering, they trusted me. And they also read it because they were intrigued by the idea. But um, especially, you know, given that there is a pretty explicit sex scene at the end, which was really interestingly difficult to write. Talk about multi-shipping. Like that was... Yeah. I, I loved writing it. I'm very happy with how it came out, but it was hard for me to write because I had to get myself into such a different headspace. But people, people went to a place that was really uncomfortable for them. And for the, I mean, every, I'm sure there are people who tried it and were like, no, this isn't working. But the people who said something at the end was this actually ended up working for me. You know, I actually see it and I, I appreciate it, and I, a lot of people said I would read more if you wrote it, and I honestly don't think I will. I think that was sort of me getting it out of my system, and I don't really see me doing it again. But, God, something else, though, and this is not quite a digression, but it's it sort of gets back to negative fandom reaction to this kind of thing. I expected to get a lot of shit from people, especially given when I wrote it. Oh, um, yeah. It's I, I thought that my inbox would get flooded with people being nasty, especially given how vicious a lot of Glenn fans are about this, which distresses me given how much I love Glenn as a character. Yeah, and he um, would he would hate any. Oh, he would be disgusted. Yeah. yeah. But but I, I expected that and I expected I might get some nasty comments and I got none. Nobody said anything to me about it. And nobody I'm sure people were saying nasty stuff in other parts of the fandom about it. Because I don't see how they couldn't know that it existed. It's there on AO3, and there aren't that many of them. But it's just nobody, nobody said anything awful, and I'm really kind of surprised. Mm. I mean, I'm happy. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything terrible about it. But <laughs> it's, but it yeah. Also, but sometimes it, it's like you know, if, if if it makes people angry, that means that you you know it was powerful. So that, that's yeah. that's another way to look at it. That's how I look at it. So like if I if I if I piss off the people I want to piss off, that means I did a good job. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's that's one of the things I hope Gimple is feeling about all the fuckboys getting mad about all the character work and all the women being great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's it, it 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 made me to think that I would get people who were angry at me. It made me annoyed all over again with how resistant a lot of this fandom is to not even you know, I'm fine if people don't want to read it. Like, I'm absolutely fine with people who don't want to read this fic. I, I totally get it, and I totally understand that for a lot of people, even if they appreciate what I'm doing, it's just not something they're comfortable with, or it's not something they would enjoy. And the last thing I want is for anybody to read something they're not enjoying. But what really bothers me about this is that it's like the fandom, and this is especially true of the Carol people, who really shouldn't care, given that supposedly Beth is dead and the ship can't possibly happen at this point. Why is it a threat to them? I it bothers me that people aren't even willing to let this stuff exist. Mm -hmm. Like they're not even willing to let other people explore it if they want to. And, and I don't think, I don't think we get shit from, from Rickle people or Rashawn people or people in other parts of the fandom in the kind of aggressive way we get from Carol people. But mm -hmm. it's, it's really unpleasant to me that people can't do other stuff if they want to explore it without getting shit for it and also that there probably is kind of a general sense that if you ship these people with more than one person and in more than one way you're that's somehow some kind of deep betrayal yeah and i like and yeah and like for, i mean the whole reason i wanted to i mean except for wanting to talk about brickle like the reason why i wanted to 
do this episode is because I'm just so interested in that that idea that like of you know having multiple versions of the same character. It's like it's the same as that you know that that um, text post that's like I you know I sit here reading the same two characters falling in love like 10 billion times. I'm still enjoying it. You know, it's like, it's this, it's, it's the same at at its core. I think it's the same thing. Like you're not, it's, Oh my God. What was it? It was like, I I know that like during the time, the the time when like um, the major classic Greek um, tragedy um, plays were being written, um, the culture was not like a spoiler culture. It was because everyone knew these stories, but what was interesting to them to the audiences, what they went to the theater to see was the execution and how it, you know, how mm. things were different, how the, maybe how the writer changed things, how the actors do things. And it's, I think that it's, a, it's a similar dichotomy here in that what I feel like multi shippers are people who accept multi shipping are interested in that execution. Yeah. You know, less, less so than, I don't know. That doesn't totally, it doesn't, but it's it's like I just think multi-shipping is so interesting because it's a way to bring it's a way to bring out different universes within the same character and I think that people who have a problem with that maybe just don't care I I, I don't want to say they don't care but they don't I, I don't I don't want to speak for other people but it's just people who have a problem with that and people who, who enforce that their problems with that on the people who enjoy exploring that are not cool. And I, I just, I wish that there was, you know, I always wish that people could be less defensive and more self-reflective and understand that like, I, I, uh, I hate talking about like saying things like those people because I'm just, I just, I hate, I just don't like that. But it's like, it does feel like there's this chasm between there's multiple chasms and so many different facets of, you know, the community, the community. And like, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't really, I don't look at the, I don't look in the tags and I generally just stick to my dash. So I'm like in my safe Same. little bubble universe of people who like I approve of <laughs> and who like I know are even, even if, you know, like there was, I remember there was once where one of the, one of my friends had like a very different opinion than I did, but she wrote it out in a very reasoned, logical way. And like, I understood like I was like and not and not in like a pejorative way and I was like okay I don't agree with you but okay like that's what you think and you have it, it makes sense okay and, and like your in your universe it makes sense but there's that there's a lack of empathy and I think empathy is what you need to multi-shift because empathy is about yeah. like it's about understanding that people that like a person is not just one thing like like i said there's multiple universes in every person and in one universe you know daryl and beth are together and in another universe rick and daryl are together um and it's all facets of the same character that we all love anyway <laughs> no you're you're I, and i love your point about empathy and i mean here's i'm yeah, I don't like being like those people either, but I'm I'm also increasingly into just being really super blunt. Um, I think that people who people who don't personally multi ship, fine. I don't want again, I don't want people to read something they don't like and I don't want people to do something they're not personally comfortable with. Yeah. But people who don't like it when other people do it, I don't think those people give a shit about good writing. Because... Well, I think I think it's I mean, I'm gonna be sort of selfish here because I feel I do like I am one of those people in 
one of my fandoms where it's like, okay, I accept that you ship what you ship, but you are totally wrong. But the difference is that I don't like tell people who ship the thing yeah. I don't like that they are wrong. I yeah. like personally think that they are wrong because I think they are misunderstanding the characters. But like, and that's like a totally legitimate thing because people understand characters differently. And like, I mean, I think that there isn't an, an like there isn't one empirical way to understand characters, even though like, we, like you know, we have been saying, and I totally agree with you that like we're right about Daryl. Like that's that's not really the truth because for I mean for us the way that we see Daryl through our experiences, through our education, whatever, like that's who Daryl is to us. But maybe he's something else to someone else. So like there, there's, yeah, I I think that there's no like empirical way of saying like you are right in this interpretation but it's the it's the actively like making people feel like shit or like trying to make people feel like shit because you have you've lived different experiences and have different viewpoints yeah that don't you know that don't harm other people you know obviously like if you're like if you don't like i don't know tyrese because he's black like you deserve to get kicked in the face but like it's like multi-shipping hurts no one yeah precisely nobody yeah and even even like even the people rick and carl like that's something i don't get i am sort of i'm like it squicks me out but i'm also just like shipping is not real life it's exploring characters in a way that makes them interesting to you and like i i just I don't like even though like like as I said like that that kind of ship like squicks me out and like I would rather it didn't exist personally but like I have no right to say that you sh- you ship this so you are a terrible person because you you can't help what you ship it's about yeah. how, it's about how you put that feeling out into the world that's what makes a difference but it, but it's it's I mean it's yeah absolutely um but but it's it's also for me. And this is, I think, partly because I'm I'm one of the I remember the days of Live Journal. Like I'm one of I'm I'm not exactly a really old fandom person, but I've I was in fandom 15 years I, I 15 years ago I left fandom and I haven't come back until now. I was in fandom in high school back in you know the early aughts. So I and maybe even before then. So I I remember back when I've, I've been seeing a lot of stuff recently on, on my dash that I like that I think is interesting about the difference between fandom then and fandom now as it exists on Tumblr and the fact that Tumblr fandom, especially with younger, with the younger generation, you know, yeah, I'm talking about kids today, but they kind of don't <laughs> fucking get it. And a lot of it does come from not having to fight for your own space, which we did in my day. Mm-hmm. And we left fanfiction.net because they, they kicked all our porn off of it. I mean, partly that was why. And it was, it was a hostile environment and it still kind of is. So we left. And one of the things that I found so strange and did not expect when I got back into, I mean, first of all, I didn't expect anybody to call me a pedophile just because I happened to like an age difference ship. I, I, that was completely out of nowhere. And I found it baffling and I still do. I didn't expect it to happen at all. But but the other thing that I'm noticing, and I've said before that this troubles me, that's really very different, I think, about how, how fandom works now than how fandom used to. And I think it might might be especially true in Walking Dead fandom. I don't know. I'm not in other fandoms, really. But 
back when I was first getting into fandom, there was very much this understanding that fandom was for explore fan fiction was for exploring stuff that wasn't and probably couldn't be true. Mm -hmm. So there was no requirement that everybody accept that your thing was canon. And there was really not a tremendous amount. I mean, there were obviously, there were cross fandom fights and there was drama and all that shit still happened because all that shit always happens when you have small close-knit communities. It's just part of having a small close-knit community. But there wasn't in the way that there is now, like the, the Carol aunties would not have existed back then. Like they just, the, mm. the rest of fandom would have ostracized them like they, they, and, and really wouldn't have understood where they were coming from because there, there was a general ship and let ship understanding with the idea that we understand that our thing probably won't be canon. You understand that our thing probably won't be canon. We're just doing our thing over here. You don't want to read our stuff. That's fine. We never even have to talk to each other. But there, there was no threat in this in this way there was no resentment in this way and yeah it's it's i just i i feel like a lot of people in fandom as i see it right now as i've come into contact with it and as i've experienced it don't appreciate what fan fiction is for and that's really distressing to me on a deep level because like like we were saying when we started this whole conversation one of the things that is so interesting about writing Beth and Rick together is because it couldn't happen and because there are so many different ways to explore it for that reason. Fan fiction, it could only happen in fan fiction. Mm -hmm. So why don't people get that? Like, if, if even if you don't like it, why wouldn't it be the kind of thing you'd want to encourage as part of creating a richer and more interesting fandom environment, even if it's not something you personally want to read? I just, I on a very deep level, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm actually curious because like, I don't, I mean, I was, I began my fandom career when a lot of fan fiction was on live journal, but I, I never really posted it. I never was really like part of it, but I'm wondering, do you think that maybe some of the animosity comes from the way that Tumblr lets you like literally like isolate yourself and like make that echo chamber? Or do you think that already existed and it's something else that's changed? That's a really interesting question. Um, there are a lot of fandom scholars who are probably like a lot of people who work for the organization for transformative works are probably better suited to talk about this than me, but it's actually my sense that it's, it's kind of both things. It's Tumblr allows people to really isolate themselves in their own echo chambers. Absolutely. But also Tumblr forces people, the affordances of Tumblr, almost not, not force, but they enable people to interact with other people in a way that does not allow anybody a high degree of control. Whereas on live journal, you could, you know, you could keep your live journal locked only to certain people. It wasn't that you had to keep it public or not public, but you could, you could lock it only to people on a particular list. You could have multiple filters for different posts. I used to have, mm. I used to have, you know, kind of my public, my, my, my public default. And then I had kind of my friends and acquaintances filter. And then I had my very close friends filter. And then sometimes I had a filter for only two or three people. So you could really curate your level of privacy and publicity in a way that you can't do via Tumblr. LiveJournal created a, a safe collection of spaces that made it, I think, a lot easier for people to respect each other's spaces just because it encouraged people to respect each other's spaces. And Tumblr is a free-for-all. And I think that 
the affordances of a particular platform will encourage certain kinds of behavior and make certain kinds of behavior the norm. And, and the affordances of Tumblr, although there are things I like about it, do not encourage respectful behavior. Mm-hmm. Partly, I think that's because of anonymity. Although you could be anonymous on, to- on, on LiveJournal. You could allow anonymous posting. You could allow people to comment anonymously if you wanted. But, and you obviously can do that on Tumblr too, but the affordances of Tumblr don't encourage respectful interaction. And I think that's been very destructive for fandom. I think and, that's degraded yeah. fandom overall. And when, when I mean, as we've slash I've seen, when you try to ask for that respect, particularly I'm thinking in terms of tag, like respectful tagging, necessarily to keep things out of tags, but like tagging, you know, your ship. So if you want to blacklist them, you can like, and like whenever you know certain people when you bring that up with them like could you please tag this so i don't see it on my dash they get so self-righteous and like i can do yeah. whatever i want on my blog it's my blog and i'm just like but 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 it, it's it's it takes it's two words like two yeah. sec- two like it's the same thing as the the change from team delusional to team defiance i'm just like this is not a difficult like making that change is not difficult logistically maybe it's difficult psychologically for some people i don't know but it's you know it makes it it makes someone's day like a tiny bit better it costs you nothing yeah by like typing a different word or typing like two extra words and it makes you know someone's day not as shitty as it could have been it's like just just do it i like i don't know i i think that there's just that that that's the blatant disrespect that I mean, I've, I've for some reason, I don't get much uh, anonymous hate messages, which I do not understand why, like, some of our friends do and some of us don't because we all blog about the same stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I in general, I have not gotten many anonymous hate messages. So most of my most of my experience with this has been when um, sort of team acceptance and team defiance were sort of separating and I saw some of my people I thought were friends getting like really, really nasty. And I asked them, could you please tag this? And they were like, nope. And it's just, I don't know. It's just like such, it's like conservatives, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's like this belief that like free speech, even though that's not what free speech means, like I can do whatever I want. It's my blog. It's my space. But like, no, if it's your blog and people are following your blog, it's a shared space. Exactly. And it's shared exactly. by people with different triggers, different you know, perspectives. And whoever invented Tumblr Savior was cool enough to allow us to filter out the stuff we don't want to see. And we have the tools for that. So like use the tools to I don't know. It's just ugh. It pisses me off. It's, yeah, it's, it's super frustrating. It's frustrating. And this is something else that's that, and now we're just talking about fandom, but I think this is important. I think this is important regarding how people talk about and, and deal with ships and fandom. It's there, there is a different understanding. And back when I used to do a lot more writing about, about society and technology, I did a lot of thinking about affordances and, and how design is never neutral because it's not design is always a product of the assumptions Mm-hmm. that people who created 
these various spaces and these platforms and these forms of technology had. And, you know, if a white straight guy is designing something, then it's going to be designed for white straight guys. And one of the things that I think is kind of troubling is exactly what you're talking about. There's, there's not an, there is this, there's this idea that your blog is a private or a semi-private space that you curate. And it is, but Tumblr is designed in such a way that your blog is also a shared space. And with with the people who follow you and you you either are aware of that and behave respectfully or you're aware of it and you don't behave respectfully and you're a fucking asshole and i think on live journal partly because again we had this wonderful filter system there was there was more of an understanding of we need to kind of these people are your friends they they you care about them even if they you don't even if you don't follow them mutually and they're just they're just you know they have you on their friends list it's still you still have a sense of responsibility to them you can have this be your private space but then you don't have anybody interacting with you if you want to open up your blog to interaction then you need to recognize that this is now a space you're sharing with other people and you have to respect them in that in that sense and it's especially ironic to me, given how social justice Tumblr likes to pretend to be, yeah. how there is this intense, like, if you asked somebody to tag stuff for racism, they probably would. But if you ask them to tag it for other things, like, the defensiveness is weird. It's almost, it, it, it's, it's like talking to somebody who's saying really offensive, hurtful stuff and asking them not to, or at least not to do it around you, and them reacting like you've just tried to censor them. And yeah. it's like, that's not, no, that's not how this works. Like, if you're okay with people doing this for other things, then you have to be okay with it in this case, too, because in either way, you're hurting people. You don't get to decide when it's okay for you to hurt people. Like, that's mm -hmm. not something you get to do. I hate it. <laughs> because it's unnecessary. Nobody has to be this way. And especially as you've, one of my favorite, I mean, I have a million favorite points that you've made, but one of my favorite <laughs> points that you make about fandom in general is that like and like the infighting that happens over multi-shipping to get back to the topic of this podcast <laughs> is that like if these characters all love each other like your fave <sighs> like they might not necessarily want to fuck each other but they still love each other and yeah. if they knew that like person a was sending anonymous hate to person b because they want a different person to a different, you know, character to ride a character's dick. Like those characters would, they would be, they would not know. Especially the character, especially like the characters that we talk about, like Carol, like Daryl, Beth, like they, they're Glenn. They're good. They're good people. They would be like, "What the fuck are you doing talking about my family that way?" And it's just like, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's just it's I like that's one of like the most powerful arguments you've made because for me because it's just like it's it's such it's so ironic and tone deaf and just like refute like refusing to change and learn and let people in and like i'm just like every day like every day i'm just, like i want to make a post just like begging people like teach me like please tell me am i if i'm doing something shitty like let me know i mean don't make vague post about it that I might never see and if I do see it I'll just be like wow that was really shitty of you to like vague post about me but like I don't know if, if for me if I do something shitty I want to know and like I want the education but there are so many people who don't who just don't want the education 
and that's it's just that's what frustrates me it's frustrates me and it's 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 uh it's i i've been i've been posting a lot about this uh this kind of comedy trio of brothers that i love the mcelroys they have this amazing podcast by the way guys podcast wreck my brother my brother and me it's sort of an ad- a comedy advice show um they they've been they've been kind of getting more and more popular and they had a tv show on CISO, which is really hilarious and they've been talking a lot in interviews about their brand of comedy which is really positive and kind and considerate of other people and they they're, they've been talking about how when they first started this they were unintentionally hurting a lot of people you know because comedy does that comedy kind of walks that line and they were talking about how people you know their friends and people they cared about and people they didn't even know but who were who cared about them doing a good job you know were like hey this thing you said i know you didn't mean to but this thing you said was hurtful and they were like, well, you know, we, we hit a point where we were like, we can be incredibly defensive and keep doing what we're doing and hurt people, or we can try to do better and in the process be funnier. And one of the things that they discovered was that they did better work. They were mm-hmm. funnier and more popular when they really made an effort not to hurt people. And I don't, I don't understand why people don't get that, that, that when we're more respectful each other, of each other, and when we encourage other people, when we encourage each other to explore things that we find interesting, even if they're not, even if they're, you're going, you know, you're going to a place where I don't want to go. It's better for everybody when more people make things. Yes. When fandom is more active and richer and more people are thinking about and writing stuff and, and people are just like, I, I think, I think that the people who write like incest fic with Rick and Carl, it's a squick. It, it, despite the fact that I write incest roleplay, it's a different thing. Damn it, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. That said, if they're getting something out of it, if there's something interesting there for them, I really I want them to do it. I encourage it. I I I am nothing but supportive of the idea of Carol fandom. Like if that's something you want to do, if there's interesting things going on with these two characters, do it. Please do it by all means. I don't understand why people want this very flat boring anemic fandom why would you want that and i like i i feel like i was just thinking like, i feel really deprived of carol i guess because like i mean i feel like we like as we this conversation has been about i feel like i mean I, at least i think that we understand Car- you know beth and daryl and rick very deeply and you know when i first watched the show before you know up until season four i was a carol shipper I was like, Seriously? yeah, huh. yeah. Oh, I mean, like, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking. I was just watching the show. I wasn't thinking critically. I mean, now that I think about it, it's like I, you know, I see that that would not be that would not work. And also, I thought that I was oh, this whole the scene where um, Carol walks into Daryl's room and he pulls up the sheet. I thought that was like because he was embarrassed to be naked, and I didn't, didn't realize it was about the scars. But any, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's so cute. But anyway, like. <laughs> I wasn't like super invested in it, but I was like, "Ooh, that would be awesome!" I was, you know, I shipped it, but, and maybe I would still ship it if the way that if the fandom hadn't like made me so averse to even mentioning Carol, which is awful yeah. because she's such a fascinating character, and in terms of representation and having an older, not just an older, but an older looking woman. Yeah. Who is is was a mother is was, you know, is an abuse survivor. Like she's an incredibly interesting character, even if she does do like deus ex machina things like she did in New Sanctuary. In no Sanctuary. Yeah. I mean, that that's the fault of the writers. But like, I feel like I 
don't understand her relationship with Daryl the way that I could if fan if you know fandom was not if fandom was less hostile. Um, yeah, I th- I think that that hostility has like it deprives people of a lot of things, and even if it's something that like you don't want to see, like Carl Rick incest, whatever. Like I mean, I feel like I mean just looking at you and me, like I feel like us bouncing our fix off each other has made me a much better writer it's made me think of things i never would have thought of before and i think that if i you know built up the courage and the stomach power to read you know a carl rick fic i'm sure like i would think things too because or think new things too because that's a different perspective that you know it's very it's different from you and me because we have very similar ideas about these characters and these relationships but like what how would my view of these characters change if i felt free and allowed to explore these dynamics that i ne- you know i never thought about you know it's like it's like yeah. this, when when i read um a lot of rickle fic especially stuff that was written before season 4 daryl is a completely different person um partly because we don't i think you know the writers didn't you know, I think his character development was there. His like the character as I see him now was there, but the writers, you know, they didn't put the highlight on it that season four did. But the dynamic that he has with Rick is much more like alpha male e whatever. And like I, I have trouble reading that now because like I don't agree with that characterization. But it's still interesting to think about. It's another perspective, yeah. and every perspective, even if it's a damaging one, it it makes your own thoughts richer. Um, so that's just, that's on a personal level. That's one thing that just pisses me off about the hostility and fandom is that by extension, it's made me resistant to characters and relationships like Carol and like Carol, which are super interesting and could add so much ri- richness to my understanding of the show. But because of the hate, the animosity I feel towards the majority or at least the vocal members of that fandom, I don't feel comfortable liking that relationship. And I don't like that. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I, to be honest, I don't know how people who ship Rick and Beth and Rick and Carol do it. Like, I have no idea how they survive. The the Maybe they're just very quiet about it, but they, I, I can't imagine that they feel like this fandom is a very safe place for them, for yeah. both sides, because I know that, that Bethel people can be really ugly too. I, I think that generally we're not as ugly, but I think that we can still be really ugly. Yeah, I've, I have the same reaction to to Carol that you do. I, I am, I hate that I feel this way, but I am, I become viscerally uncomfortable with it. Yeah, and I don't like that. That's not a feeling I embrace. I wish I felt differently. Something, something that I, you know, you've probably noticed. I really try to do in all of the fic where it makes sense to do it, and it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of in I'll Be Yours for a Song is bringing Carol in and making her important yes. and making her relationship with Daryl important and trying to write her in a way that centers her and makes her makes her rich and interesting because I think she is but it's harder to do it and I I feel like my my sense is that there have I've I've lost some re- I my sense is that I lost some readers in Albiers for a song when I brought her in and I I had some chapters where it was just her and Daryl talking mm-hmm. and and Beth never showed up and I, I kind of get that, but I also, I hate it. 
I really hate it. And there, absolutely, there, there, there are things I won't read because I don't want to. And that's fine. I shouldn't read things I don't want to read, but I don't like that I don't want to read them. Yeah. I'm sure there are some great Carol fics out there. I'm sh- I'm sure there's some Carol fics out there that, that do justice to both the characters and are really fascinating and really well written. I'm probably never going to read them. Yeah. That makes me really mad. I, yeah. It's like I am a multi-shipper, but I am prevented from being the kind of multi-shipper that I could be. Yes. That is perfect summation of what I just, of what I rambled about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's like I keep saying, it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why it has to be this way. There's there's no reason why people have to be threatened. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it. I mean, I assume a lot of it has to do with per, like who, which characters you connect with personally. Because I I mean, like for me, I I love Glenn, and I was so sad when he died. Um, but he's ne- he's never been like in my pantheon of babies or whatever. I don't know what to call it. Um, <laughs> the way that Daryl is, because I just have never personally connected to his character the way that I connect to Daryl and I connect to Daryl any other fictional character I can think of and I think that because relationships with characters between viewer and character is so intense it can be so intense then that the view of who that character is in a relationship with on the show it's an extension of you know who the viewer is and that's why I remember um in one of the earlier chapters of Almost Fine, I remember I got, I don't even remember what it was about, but it was, I think it was a comment that was like saying that something about like how Daryl and Beth's relationship was abusive or like, um, you know, Daryl's mom was bad character or something. I don't know. And it just, it, oh my it, God. I don't even, I don't even remember what it was about, but it made me like sob. And that's when I realized that like, that story is about me. Um, And like, it's when I realized that Daryl is me and Beth is me. Um, And I think that that, you know, when you don't have, I think if you don't recognize like that you have that level of personal connection, um, that can be a, a place where you mistake, you know, other people, other people's opinions have nothing to do with you um, for personal attacks. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I think there's just in general a real lack of self-understanding that's also kind of distressing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my husband's home with groceries. Oh yeah, I was just about to say like I, when we got on, I was like, oh maybe I, I, we should probably just like you know do this for like an hour or something. I'm sort of tired. <laughs> oh, you, surely you did not think that was going to happen. Come I'm on, stop talking. <laughs> no, it's like honestly... almost three. I'm so, I'm so sorry for what you have to edit now. This can take you forever. Oh no. No, honestly, one of the things I really like about about and this is this is this is you're not the only person this is true, but one of the things I really like about episodes with you in it is that there's really very little editing needed. Oh. I mean, I I could cut things, but I figure if people don't want to listen to two almost 3 hours of this, they totally don't have to. Just please make like, me make me sound smart. That's all I, I don't need to. Ask. I don't need to. You already do. Okay, but we but we should we probably should stop. I know I'm like I I already right before we started I drained like a whole mug of juice and now I'm just like I need more. My <laughs> mouth is dying. I'm so dehydrated. <laughs> yeah, no, get out of here. All right, thank you so much for asking me back to do this. It's so much fun. I always enjoy it, and like I forget that I don't like talking. So 
Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Molly. I will talk to you again soon. All right. I'll probably see you on Tumblr in like five minutes. <laughs> so. Uh huh. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. And welcome back. Uh, if you can hear stuff in the background still, I'm recording this about, about 10 seconds after I recorded the intro, so that's why uh, that's why you can still hear that if you can. So yeah, it's over. It's done. The, the marathon conversation is done. It was so goddamn fun, you guys. Oh, I really, I can't wait to do more of these with more people. I've got, I've got some cool stuff lined up. Uh, I've got some, some awesome plans for, for future episodes. And one of the things that I actually cut, I think I cut it. You will know if you've just listened to this whether or not I cut it. But I seem to recall that I cut it. A uh, thing where uh, Molly and I were just talking about, you know, fandom and, and how we wish we could devote more time to it. And, and I was like, I wish I could do one of these a week. Like, I wish I could do this weekly. I wish I could justify putting in the time. I can't. But, you know, I, I wish... I wish with this was something I could do, like, almost as a job, you guys. It's so fun. And I think I'm good at it. I'm making people happy. And I like knowing that I'm doing that in a really direct way. And I, I just... Yeah, I wish I could just do this once a week. But maybe someday. But not now. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for upcoming weeks. It's, it's going to be really fun. Uh, I hope that you guys are going to like what I've got in the works. Uh, just a reminder, uh, if you get your podcast via iTunes, this thing is also available on iTunes. And iTunes is cool because you can also rate and review there if you feel so inclined. And it's really awesome if you do that. Also, I just think iTunes is neat. Uh, next interview episode, which I forget when it's actually going to drop, but it's, it's, it's going to be like, it's going to be like a, something like a month from now. Um, the, the guest on that episode is going to be Nikita. Uh, an absolutely fantastic artist who we are so blessed to have in this fandom. If you have any questions for her, or if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, get in touch with me uh, via Tumblr or shoot me an email or really however you want to give me a yell. Uh, but, but yeah, let me know. Let me know. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff I have planned to talk about, but I'm also happy to talk about anything you guys want, you know, within, within reason. So yes, watch for that. Watch for that to drop. Again, I don't remember exactly when, but it will be sometime in the next month. So until the next episode of our reading series, thanks so much for listening, and I will speak to you soon. Bye.